Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Fengloss coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. You know, normally Fridays around here are kind of casual. Um, we usually we had our gun reporters, and we don't right now. So I actually have a, a WUI classic uh, interview with my uh, concealed carry instructor, Chuck Bonta. And so I'll be playing that uh, probably in the third hour, unless Pianchi and I get to chatting, in which case so I'll just get to chatting because I'd rather talk than uh, listen to myself, quite honestly. But I do those just so that uh, I don't spend several hours just chatting. However, today we've got a very special guest, and that is Dr. Robert Malone the inventor of the messenger RNA uh, vaccine. And uh, so you know, you know my position on it. You know I disagree with it. You know there's just been a, a ton of stuff um, that's come out on it. And I'm, you know, but again, being guests, I'm not going to openly, you know, harass, challenge, ambush, or do the things that a lot of other journalists do. I just don't do that. I'd rather get the information. That to me is far more important. And so because of that, um, it's going to be a very interesting chat. But I want to know conversion. From, you know, the, the title of his book is A Visit with Dr. Uh, well, no, it's the title of the show. I'm sorry. The title of the show, A Visit with Dr. Robert Malone. But his book is Lies My Government Told Me. And then he goes on to, um, you know, A Future Hope. And it's put up by the Children's Health Defense. And those are the folks that's uh, uh, Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. Got a call here. I'm going to look up uh, the number and see who it is because I know everybody that's ever called the show. Oh, what a riot. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll get to know this number. Uh, Sally Saxon, uh, lawyer extraordinaire, retired and uh, co-author of the COVID book. Uh, welcome to Action Radio. You're an hour early for, for Dr. Malone, but that's okay. We got you now. Oh, that's okay. Hi, Greg. Good morning. Hi. So what's up? You're on the air. Oh, This is live. Yes. Well, <laughs> yes, things are definitely happening Um in COVID world and the vaccine uh-huh. world, Tell me. Uh, you know, more, more and more information is, you know, is coming out uh, about, you know, the the dangers and the, of the vaccines and the, you know, just the data, you know, bit by bit. Uh, but uh, you know, and for example, you probably heard that uh, out in Idaho that that some of the lawmakers in that state were trying to even criminalized mRNA uh, vaccines in the state and uh, different things like that. Um, and uh, so who knows when, where this is all going to uh, uh, lead to, you know, in the matter of the next several months uh, as, you know, some of the local officials, you know, wake up. Um, you know, Karen Kingston, whom you may or may not be familiar with. I've heard the name. I'm not bio- as familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's, oh my, she's an amazing woman. Uh, she's quoted mm-hmm. in our book. Uh, but uh, she is a, a biotech analyst and has uh, a real powerful Substack um, platform, mm-hmm. writes a lot of articles. And exposes a lot of like what's going on behind the scenes, and she's able to read uh, and explain a lot of the <laughs> documents, like patent, you know, applications and so forth, mm. and the patents that uh, even a lot of lawyers have trouble understanding and interpreting. And uh, but she wades through that and a lot of the heavy documents, and then 
she made a presentation before uh, the County Collier, Florida uh, government very recently, and they have now returned a $1.2 million uh, grant from the NIH Uh, based on her presentation of what the vaccines are all about, uh, based on her research. And uh, so she's waking people up there and and getting the cooperation of uh, local government. And I'm not sure if that's the county she lives in or not, but, uh, you know, I think that could be the start of a, uh, a trend uh, throughout local governments because she has, you know, uh, has shared the letter that she sent to them. And um, she was also able to make an in-person presentation, you know, to them. So she's busy at work uh, from that We should angle. get her on the show. You know, uh, and when, when do you bring her on the show? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well. We haven't personally met, so. You know, you so, tell me about uh, somebody interesting. That's that's my first reaction. It's like, when can we get them on? Let's talk to them. Let's let's figure out what's going on here. Yeah, you know me. She she would be a great <laughs> one. Yeah. Okay. She, she will blow your mind. Okay. Uh, and, well and then, then uh, you know, like we have a lot yeah. of information. Okay. Well, I want to hold you up just for a second because you said something really interesting before about uh, either Idaho or Iowa. I think it was Idaho wants to criminalize Idaho. the use of of messenger RNA vaccines. That to me is just as much of a dangerous reaction as those that said you have to take it because it's safe and effective. It seems that everybody's always on react mode. They never think. Nobody ever thinks anymore. You know, this is one of the things yeah. I want to talk to Dr. Malone about uh, is the fact that as the inventor of this, is it, you know, is it being used as it was designed to be used? Is it being used mm-hmm. properly? Is it, you know, is it a, a one-size-fit-all or what, it's, what I think it's supposed to be? Um, because it's actually it's DNA, RNA. Isn't, shouldn't it be matched to the exact person? Are they, are they using it as he intended? You know, so these are the questions mm-hmm. I have for him. These, these, these are some things I don't think he's been asked before. But I think it's just as dangerous for people to overreact and say, we're going to criminalize this. Well, why, let's look and see if there's right. a way to make it better. I mean, who's to say that a messenger RNA vaccine tailored to the individual after you've proven that they actually have or, or you know, don't have immunity you know, then it might be appropriate. I'm not saying all vaccines are bad. I'm anti personally. I won't take one. I don't trust them. But that's me. But yeah. if if someone comes yeah. up with a better system and they can prove it and show it, you know, I'm a, I'm like the old Missouri. Show me, okay. So, but I don't want to be so knee jerk reaction that the opposite of safe and effective is illegal. Where's where's the rationality? Right. Where's the where's the middle ground? Where's the uh, well? Let's find out. And this is what testing is supposed to do. So 15 years from now, we'll know if this is appropriate. We don't know now. And mm-hmm. so this is why it's not appropriate now. But, I, I'm, you know, this is, that's a dangerous trend. That's a bad sign to me that people are, are because they, it's like it's a, it's a reverse mass psychosis. So the first mass psychosis was, was you have to take this. We're all going to die. You have to wear a mask even though they don't work. You have to uh, isolate yourself even though that spreads it faster, <laughs> you know, causes more stress, lowers your immune system. I mean, I'm saying this in, in ironic terms because everything, and that's another thing I want to ask Dr. Malone about, everything the government did preserved COVID didn't stop it. Everything that would have stopped it, right? You know, fresh air, well, exercise, vitamin D. You know, uh, all the all the you know, bo- yeah. boosting your immune system. All the things we know to be true. The Zelenko protocol, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. All the things we know work. The government banned, and what they yeah. what they pushed was everything that didn't work. And I, my theory is, and I'm going to ask him about this too. Did the government intentionally preserve COVID until they could bring out their uh, their version of his messenger RNA jab? Right. Yeah. You know, the the problem is um, mm-hmm. 
as explained in part four of our book, uh, the COVID-19 vaccines and beyond, what the medical industrial complex is not telling us, mm-hmm. um, part four goes into the big picture uh, that all things COVID fit into. And okay. unless you know the big picture, uh, you can't understand what all things COVID uh, are about. And there is a bigger agenda at play here. And that's why, you know, even two years after the shots should have been stopped, according mm-hmm. to, you know, the government's own standard of, well, once you reach 50 deaths that are associated with a particular drug, the uh-huh. FDA pulls it off the market. Well, 50. that was reached way back at least 50. two years. That was that was reached the first day. <laughs> well, and possibly, possibly in in late December, 2020, yeah. uh, but certainly by January 2021, uh, that was reached, and uh, yet they just blew right past that, and now uh, hundreds of thousands of deaths, probably later, um, mm-hmm. here we are. Uh, it's still on the market. And so in the in our book, there are a lot of why questions. Like, mm-hmm. why have they not detected any safety signals when there have been hundreds of them blaring since uh, even at least January 2021? And, uh, and why, you know, have they ignored all the warnings? And lots of why questions that mm-hmm. all go to the issue of motive. And which goes to the issue of the big picture, the bigger agenda behind mm-hmm. this whole thing, and um, which is and behind behind without all giving away the COVID book, you know, but but which is what's what's the big picture? Uh, the big picture is that there is a a group in the world um, that has uh, an evil agenda, mm-hmm. and there's no other way to describe it. Uh, that and it, it doesn't relate just to COVID. It relates to every other aspect of society, and and, and it goes beyond just wanting to control, you know, people and have power, you know, over people, uh, in a like a one world government. Which, if you do the research, okay. So I'm a former attorney, so I look at evidence. What's the evidence? Uh-huh. You know, and I I don't cherry pick the evidence. Uh, but I try to look at both sides because a good mm-hmm. lawyer has to look at uh, both sides of the evidence. What is what is the other side's evidence to support their claims and arguments? And what are their best arguments? And, you know, because I need to assess the strength of my case by understanding the strength of their case, mm-hmm. you know, as well as Makes sense. the strength of my own evidence and, and legal arguments. And so, you know, when I look at the other side's arguments, they – in the concerning the uh, claims that have been made about uh, the COVID shots, it's like, well, we know they've made a lot of big claims, like safe and effective. You know, it'll prevent you from getting COVID. It'll prevent you from being hospitalized. It lessens the severity of uh, the, you know, the, your symptoms if you are hospitalized or or die. And they made lots of claims, but there's. There's no solid evidence really to back them up. What evidence they do have, it seems to me, is mm-hmm. has been manipulated, or sometimes just made up. Um, and well, so, but it all comes uh, down to it all comes down to the fact that they don't have liability. 
So it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what their motivations. It doesn't matter, you know, what laws they break. It doesn't matter what procedures they abuse. It doesn't matter what recommendations they ignore. None of this matters because they're not liable. You know, so this is why I wrote the, the bill back in 2021, folks, okay? So you wonder how far ahead we, we are. In fact, I'm going to tell Dr. Malone about our two bills, uh, the big tech censorship bill and the, uh, the vaccine uh, product liability bill. So let me pull that one up right now here. So, yeah, March 31st of 2021, so one year after 15 days to slow the spread, we already had a full product liability bill. The bill I wrote in February 27th was a resolution of 2020. This is, this is two weeks before 15 days to slow the spread. So February 27, 2020, I wrote a bill that said that Congress can only spend half their money on vaccines. The other half has to go for early treatments uh, because the, the virus is already here. You know, and it said this has yeah. national security implications, and this is a potential bioweapon. I wrote this in February. So guess what happened right. the next day? Censorship. <laughs> You know, that's when it came yeah. out, you know, and, uh, and then I, pro- you know, and then I said March 2nd of 2020 that uh, the government policy is hoax. The virus isn't a hoax. The virus is a real virus. I don't know where it came from yet, but, it, but it's certainly real. But the, but the government policy, everything they're doing is wrong. And this is March 2nd. You know, I already had the right. DDR Road study. What? Okay. So, so what was, so what made, what made me and Action Radio and the folks here skeptical and, and, and so different than everybody else? Where, where were their brains at? What happened? What went wrong? Why did they, they so, you know, follow along and drink little, you know, take the Kool-Aid instead of drinking it. I mean, the, the modern Kool-Aid is the COVID jab. Why did it with so many millions of people and the governors and the mandates and the mayors and the city councils. And they all said, you have to do this. You have to follow, you know, we're all going to die. And they trusted the government, something I've never done ever since I learned about the Holocaust when I was 10 years old, I've been skeptical of government yeah i figured that's what they can do you know then anything else is yeah. fair game. and that well, did, i didn't you know, anyway that's that's my that's my take on it why why didn't where were the yeah, questions it, where was congress where was anybody except you me you know dr viglione you know you know all the some of the other yeah. folks out there you know yeah well the people behind it all at the top i'm not i'm not talking about the local government officials who you know were deceived like a lot of other people uh, and they were betrayed as well you know mm-hmm. by the people they were taking orders from who oh right you know, there from the state level and they taking... were betrayed by the you know ones ahead of them but yeah. you know why would so many people believe that and and you got to understand as i'm sure you already do uh mm-hmm. that these people are experts at mind control and different mm-hmm. kinds of you know influencing their minds and in in programming and in a way that you don't even know that you're being programmed and influenced uh, to think a certain way and to stop thinking critically. I mean, mm-hmm. this has been, you know, something, you know, some techniques that they've used over many decades to condition yeah. people's minds, you know, to stop thinking critically and just accept what they say. And so, uh, and they do it in such subtle ways. And then the way they package their messages is also very misleading and slick. The way, you know, and they, then there was that, uh, what's it called? The community, uh, COVID community core uh, effort, I think, what, in which they put at least $10 billion into uh, various uh, organizations, community organizations, celebrities, and others to encourage them to help spread the word and encourage people to get the shots. 
Are you familiar with yeah, that this is like, program? I, I, I think not, not that I didn't, I hadn't heard it called that, but I'm familiar with all the PR campaigns. I still see ads on TV. You know, you have this, this nice, sweet little person, Pfizer. Someone looks like Martha Stewart. Yeah. Maybe it even is Martha Stewart, you know, saying yeah. uh, with the, with the, with the, with the, uh, the katana, the Japanese samurai sword, you know, it's like, you know, and I, I'm going to cut this virus and I'll say, like, give me a break. And so, but what I want to know is what separates those of us who are so skeptical from the beginning from everybody else? What, what's different about us? What is, and I'm trying to blow my own horn here, but I never believed any of this nonsense, even from the beginning. I called him Dr. Yeah. Fascist, you know, way back when. But yeah. as soon as that hard little man took the stage, I thought, this is there's something wrong here. I didn't know exactly what was wrong yet, but I knew something was very wrong because all he talked about was vaccines. I said, how can you do that? I know these things take 15 years to produce. You cannot be talking about this now. Yeah. The virus is already here. This is an inherent contradiction that nobody was answering. And this, uh, they're not answering the obvious contradiction. Then I know something's wrong. Well, yeah, and, and part of the issue, too, is, especially if you talk to somebody like Karen Kingston, you'll find uh-huh. out um, they've been working on this much longer than that. I uh-huh. mean, this didn't just come out, you know, as Operation Warp Speed that just started, you know, in 2020. No, uh-huh. it, it was, there was some things that started, you know, way before that, and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, Dr. Malone, I'm sure you can speak to that if, if you'd mm-hmm. like to. But, um, yeah, I think that one difference is that, you know, some people's minds are just more open than others. And, I mean, I'm with you. I Right from the beginning of all this, you know, like something is fishy uh, mm-hmm. here. And, you know, because if you have the background, you understand the big picture to begin with, then that makes a huge difference. And you, you – look at things like this, developments like this, big issues like this through a different lens. You know, you're always already looking at it through the lens of there's a bigger agenda going on and this seems to be part of it. And so, you know, you tend to disbelieve like everything uh, that is said, everything you hear on the major media about these big issues. You know, the truth is, for the most part, it seems just the opposite of what they're telling you. And uh, but I I know people who are aware of the bigger agenda behind a lot of stuff. So there was a, a missing link there for them. And it goes back, to, I think, to Hitler's big lie that, you know, it's easier for people to believe the bigger lies than the smaller lies. Do you know why that and, is? Is uh, there a is there like a psychological reason that the big lie is more believable? Have you looked into that? On your psychology well, I, yeah, I think I think basically it's because you know a normal human being uh, cannot imagine that anyone would just outright lie to other human beings about something as uh, major as a matter of life and death. You know, it's just it's too hard. The truth about it is too hard not to believe, or or the, their lies are too hard not to believe. Well, that's interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, and well, it does. So that, it could, you're yeah, saying something is so cataclysmic that it, it, it has to be true just because nobody could lie about yeah. something that big. Okay, that makes, that makes sense. Exactly. I was wondering. Exactly. I, I knew there was a process to it, but I, I'd, never, I'd never heard that stated before, so that makes sense. So the little lies, people, you know, can get, you know the, the, you're not going to get away with that because you can call them on it because you can wrap your head around it. But still, everything still has to go through the logic and reason filter. 
Everything does. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you can't make sense yeah. of the world. If you, if you surrender your own judgment and your own ability to question, uh, that's it. We're done. <laughs> and I think that's what happened. People surrendered their own ability to, to question and to exercise their own judgment. And that's where I think the fear comes in. So this, this fear removes your judgment because people are so afraid that they'll make the wrong decision. Well, if you make the wrong decision, get the vaccine a month later. <laughs> Wait for some more results. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, yeah, well, fear is definitely part of it, but it's mm-hmm. the programming that has gone on before for mm-hmm. many decades. Like, of course we can trust the CDC and the FDA to do what's in our best interest. Where does um, this trust come even from? Even though we might, we might not be able to trust, you know, some of the other, the politicians, but surely yeah. you know, we should be able to trust the CDC and the FDA. And Why? in medical school, that, well, just because that's the way it's been brought up. And remember, okay. the people who are behind the medical school education, you know, mm-hmm. are you know, part of this whole you know, group of the wealthy elites. When the Rockefellers, you know, uh, several decades ago, kind of took over medical education, so the doctors coming through that system, then instead of learning more natural uh, remedies for various things, they would, you know, uh, were geared to Rockefeller uh, approach uh, with the chemical-based um, pharmaceuticals and so forth. And so they're, part of their conditioning is, you know, you believe the CDC, you believe the FDA, and blah, 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 because they're controlling those entities as well you know the yeah that's why the bigger agenda is and the big picture are so Mm -hmm. critical to understand Uh, otherwise a lot of things don't make sense but if you do understand the big picture and the bigger Mm -hmm. agenda then all of a sudden a lot of things that didn't make sense uh, before do make sense like well yeah the the picture's clear yeah yeah yeah. Well, and that's and, that's the question, you know, that we should be able to ultimately ask, you know, ask our government officials to ask, you know, uh, you know, Clark Schwab and the Great Reset and the and the Gateses and the uh, and the Brandons and uh, Obama, who's behind Brandon, and everybody else. Are you just trying to kill us? I mean, mm-hmm. what's going on here? I mean, just to ask them point blank. The thing is, I think there's so much cowardice out there. There's cowardice in the news media. There's cowardice in the politicians. You know, and fear breeds cowardice because no one wants to stick their neck out. I stick my neck out all the time. I don't care. I don't understand where this trust in. Mm-hmm government comes from. Okay, I got to the United States. I'm an immigrant, right? Born in Canada, by way of Australia, came to the United States, 1972. My introduction to the United States was, we're at war with Vietnam. I'm like, where's Vietnam? (laughs) And I don't see it. Where are the bombs? I don't see see a war. Okay, so that was the first big lie. The second big lie was Nixon was up in the Watergate hearings when I got here, summer of 72, right? Mm -hmm. So I land in in New York off a boat, and I'm an off-the-boat immigrant, and I start watching the news because, you know, I'm curious about this new country I've been brought to. (laughs) You know, I'm like, oh, what's the United States? This should be interesting. (laughs) You know, and and my introduction was we're at war, and and I I lived in New England near a big Air Force base, and I watched the B-52s and, you know, C-5 galaxies. They're flying in and out all the time. Oh, we're at war. That's interesting. Where? You know, 10,000 miles away. (laughs) Why? (laughs) That was my first question, all right? So then my second question was, um, was on the whole Watergate thing. I said, hmm, interesting country. The first thing they do is, uh, you know, uh, go after the president uh, and the president's a crook. That's interesting, too. This is an interesting place. And then I realized the size of government. <laughs> and the one thing that differentiates, the, but this is what, this is what differentiates uh, the United States from Canada and Australia is the size of the federal government. 
So you live in Canada and was a Canadian. Yeah, we knew we had a federal government, but they were in Ottawa. It wasn't that big a deal. You didn't see them affecting our daily lives. You know, then in Australia, the Australian government was kind of, you know, they had what, one aircraft carrier and that was on loan. <laughs> it's not a big power, right? Uh, a little bigger now. Okay. But I come to the United States and I'm seeing, you know, in my junior high, fallout shelter. Well, what's a fallout shelter? Yeah. What's a nuclear war? What do you mean nuclear war? Mm-hmm. What, what are you people doing here? <laughs> I, I, so my folks brought me to a country that I have to have a follow shelter for nuclear war? What is this? So my distrust for the U.S. Yeah. government is long established. It, it really started the day I got I was off the boat and has never, okay. never waned. And everything I've seen has given me more and more evidence. So I don't have that inherent trust for government that everybody else seems to have. Not everybody, but a lot of people. So this mm-hmm. is why I don't understand it. Because you look at the evidence, you look at the track record, there's no reason to trust government. And right. why did they ever help? What, yeah. yeah. But when, the, <laughs> when the, the, this group of the wealthy elites, the cabal, you know, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. when they've gained control over virtually every major aspect of society, including education, and so they start indoctrinating, you know, at a young age, and that's, and starts you know, influencing and forming the thinking, you know, mm-hmm. patterns of young kids uh, as they've now had the opportunity to do uh, for, for more than one generation. Uh, you know, they they stop or they've never really developed critical thinking skills, a lot of them. So by the time they get to law or not law school, but, well, law school too, but uh, medical school, a lot of them, you know, are not thinking for themselves and the, you know, the younger doctors just have a totally different, and it's the same thing for the younger generation has a whole different way of looking at life and seeing mm-hmm. society than the old school folks, you know, in the baby boomer generation of which I'm a part. Uh, there's like just a different ethic. There's a different, you know, uh, like my father was a doctor. And uh-huh. I remember sometimes going on house calls with him and, you know, if somebody couldn't pay, they couldn't pay. Uh, but, you know, enough of the patients could pay that he was able to serve the other ones uh, just because they needed help. And, and you did that, you know, even if they paid you in cabbages or broccoli or something that they grew in their garden, uh, you know, it's, it's like the Hippocratic oath, you know, do no harm, but also and serve you know, serve your fellow man because that's what you were trained to do. And I, I think the whole ethic today, whether you're talking about people coming out of law school or people coming out of med school or some of the other professions, it, you know, they they don't necessarily have this idea of this is a human being that you're treating and and treating them as such uh, as opposed to, oh, this is a, 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 a pancreas. Uh, pancreatic cancer case number, you know, patient one, two, three, four, uh, mm-hmm. or something. Or a and, fetus. And they look it's at not it. a baby. Yeah. <laughs> the whole different yeah. argument. Yeah. 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 So yeah. They, I mean, I'm not saying that's true of everyone, but it's a generalization. But mm-hmm. this is kind of what I've been told, and, you know, that even, you know, from the people in the medical profession, it's just not the same. And, you know, I've had nurses who, or in the baby boomer generation, tell me about, you know, the approach of some of the younger nurses. And fortunately, I've had the blessing of meeting some of the younger, you know, nurses, uh, and they're wonderful, you know. So I, I don't want to, you know, put everybody all in the same boat. 
but mm-hmm. there's a tendency but. <laughs> for the younger generations. Well, they didn't grow up with the same values that those of us who grew up in the 50s and 60s, you know, did. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, so much has changed, and and the indoctrination that they've had in the public school system, uh, unfortunately, has caused them not to think so critically uh, as, well, how as you- we did. So, how do you define critical thinking skills? Because this is something I've talked about before, and this is a huge misnomer from what I've read about uh, about critical thinking. So, so how do you what, what, how would you define that? Well, just very simply, I guess is you know asking questions when you when you read something, when you hear something, don't just accept it at face value without questioning it. Um, I mean, science is all about questioning, you know, a hypothesis, you know, like, hmm, let's, here's a premise. Is that true or not? <laughs> you know, does this really work or not? Let's test it. Let's question it. Uh, you know, and uh, that seems to have gone by the wayside <laughs> with the the uh, wealthy elites these days. They they claim to own the science, and so, you, you know, they say the science is settled. But oh, let's of, talk about that. That's, 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 that's such a buzzword. No, the science has <laughs> never settled. The law has never settled. You know, it, yeah. let, let's play in your ballpark for a while because I remember watching Amy Coney Barrett, you know, saying, well, this is settled law. And, and then, you know, Marbury versus Madison is settled law. No, it's not. It's illegal. <laughs> you know, I, just to interrupt here, we, yeah. we've, got a, a, we've got a listener in the Netherlands who's on, on live chat right now. And so he's waiting for Dr. Malone to come on. So just to let you know, our reach is growing here at Action Radio. And so anybody else wants to type in, live chat is worldwide. Uh, and it's live and we're live. And, and Europe's not that far away. They're about six to seven hours ahead of us, depending on where you are. So uh, to my, my uh, listener in the Netherlands, welcome to Action Radio. Back to you, Sally. <laughs> Isn't no. that fun? <laughs> so let's see. What is the question? We were talking about critical thinking. And, oh, yeah, what's and, critical uh, thinking? The science being settled, the law not being settled. Uh, <clears throat> what is critical thinking? Well, uh, in addition to what I just said, I, I don't know that I have too much to add to what I just said on that particular okay. point. But, uh, you know, in law school, for example, uh, it's often said that it's not that they teach you what the law is, but they mm-hmm. teach you to think like a lawyer. And so through the Socratic method, uh, mm-hmm. it's always, they're always asking questions, you know, mm. always asking questions. And, <clears throat> and so, you know, as a lawyer, you get out, you're asking questions. You look at a certain situation. Here's mm-hmm. a scenario. Here's here's what seems to have happened, and then the lawyer asks questions. Well, yeah, you, know, <clears throat> you know, that will help to identify, you know, is there a, a cause of action here? Are there defenses? Did somebody act in self-defense? You know, did uh, did this person really do that? Where's the evidence that this person actually did that? Is it circumstantial evidence where, you know, like on Matlock, it just looks like a person did a certain crime, committed mm-hmm. the crime because, uh, you know, his uh, uh, his gun was left at the was found at the scene of the crime. Uh, but what about the fact it had been stolen a week earlier? You know, uh, where does that come in? Or Exculpatory like evidence, yeah, but, yeah. Well, let me yeah. ask you a, a bigger question here because we've got uh, we have a little time. I'm glad you're able to to stick around for all this. Is kind of fun, um, totally spontaneous conversations, which are some of the best ones. But since since we're in the, the legal profession, were you civil or criminal law? What was your specialty? 
Okay. So oh, this might be a little out, this yeah. might be a little out of your ballpark because uh, I, I was thinking more of criminal law. Um, there was a time when jurors, uh, especially going back to the William Penn case, had jury nullification. They judged the laws as well as the facts of the case. And somewhere along mm-hmm. the way, the judges thought it was their job to judge the laws and instruct the juries. My contention is that jurors represent the people, judges represent the government, and if the people are supreme over the government, then the jury is actually supreme to the judge, and therefore it should be the jury who's instructing the judge. That's how I see it. So, <laughs> yeah, so what happens that jurors lost their ability uh, through lack of information and arrogance, judicial arrogance of the judges saying that, you, in fact, I got thrown off a jury for bringing up this point. You know, in open court in front of 200 people, I said, you, I said surprise, you're wrong, Your surprise. Honor. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> see that, because the case would have been fun. But I said, look, you can't do this. I said, uh, the Constitution is very clear. You know, the people are supreme to the government. I can judge the laws in the case. I said, why, why is it so critical that uh, the people that are not citizens yet, you know, we're talking about lawful permanent residents, cannot serve on a jury? It's because the people, American citizens, are supreme over the government, and we can't have foreigners, you know, ruling our government. I'm not even mentioning illegal aliens, but let's get back to the basic point. Why are judges instructing jurors, and why, not, why aren't jurors automatically – we have a bill for this, obviously, so this is why I'm talking about it. But why aren't jurors told, like a Miranda warning, you know, you have the right to judge the laws, not just the facts in the case, regardless of what the judge says? You know, I mean, just, I mean that's not exactly how I worded it, but where, where do we lose our way? Where did juries lose all their power? Well, I don't know the exact point at which that shift took place, but mm-hmm. I would say it all goes back again to the big picture. Remember, these people, uh, the wealthy elites, wanted to control everything. Mm-hmm. So they, they need to control the whole, the whole government, including the judicial system. So how do you gain control of that? Well, you gain control um, over the judges who are there like all the time. Juries mm-hmm. come and go, you know, on a case-by-case basis. Uh, Maybe judges should come and the, go. The, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, some are elected okay. and some are appointed and some mm-hmm. are, you know, lifetime. Some are, you know, other basis. Wait, 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 wait. Who's lifetime? Because the Constitution clearly says that Supreme Court I judges. Know. It didn't, doesn't even say justices. It says judges. So I started calling, because I actually read the Constitution, you know, and uh, that's my source. You know, I don't have to go read a constitutional yeah, that's, scholar. Yeah, that's you know, but it's just, Go ahead. No, that, but, but. Anyway, so others, you know, serve for a long term, you know, unless they uh, get impeached, you know, for Mm -hmm. something. But it's this whole element of the big picture where um, the wealthy elites and the cabal want control over everything. And so Mm -hmm. the judges are in a position to exercise authority. uh, And um, so the everything gets twisted. So they may not have had, you know, certain powers to begin with, but, you know, if claiming that they have certain power, you know, I mean, just like the federal government and, you know, pretending like they've got certain power and authority to pass certain laws to do certain things, and they Mm -hmm. actually don't, but they get away with it because people don't question uh, or people don't take action which is what you're encouraging people to do. Uh, oh, yeah. But, oh, I'm but more than that. Doing that because, <laughs> I'm encouraging people to rewrite the laws. <laughs> That's what yeah, I'm encouraging. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we're too comfortable, comfortable and apathetic and complacent, you know, to mm-hmm. do anything about this or to pay attention that 
um, people exercising power and authority over us actually don't have the power, uh, the the legal uh, power and authority to do what they're doing, but we let them, we just let them go. And then, you know, year after year, decade after decade, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you've just ignored certain situations, just like a health condition, if you've got a problem but you ignore it, you know, finally it erupts into a, a much bigger problem that you finally have to pay attention to, uh, but then it's much harder to deal with. And I think that's how it is in these these problems of the power and control been exerted over us in every area of society, but now we have this big horrendous problem of this yeah. octopus government and, and a system you know, that has tried to control every aspect of our lives, and now we're trying to come out from under it. And uh, it's it's not as easy as it would have been several decades ago. Had yeah, but we're here now, up. so we, we have but to deal with, with where we now. are now. Yeah. So what exactly. do you recommend? Because you know, you know what I want to do, but uh, what, what's, your, what's your recommendation? Uh, well, first of all, I think the solution has to include God, because at mm-hmm. root, uh, these things have a spiritual, a spiritual root, and just like in in our book, uh, I talk about how um, all things COVID have a spiritual root. Just mm-hmm. as the whole bigger agenda, the big picture, has a is is spiritual at its root, and so a spiritual problem or a spiritual war has to have a spiritual response. You can't fight a spiritual war. Uh, like a conventional war with weapons made by man. It does not work. Uh, so, you know, people, so we're in a situation now in our country where, well, in the world, actually, where uh, there's this war going on that mm-hmm. is spiritual in nature, and there's only two sides. There's the side that is um, actively promoting evil and all those who unknowingly are going along with and enabling it, mm-hmm. or there's the side of God. And in the end, you know, God wins, but in the meantime, uh, we have to deal with stuff. There are a lot of casualties there's along there's the way. Going on. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and so how, yeah. you know, which, so we have to choose a side. And and if if we don't want to be on the side of empowering and enabling the evil, to continue and perpetuate itself and support mm-hmm. these people, you know, like the Klaus Schwab's and the uh, Harari's. But he has no power they, officially. Crazy thing. He, uh, Klaus Schwab has no legal power. He has no legal yeah. authority. He has a lot of money and a lot of yeah. powerful people around yeah. him, but it, it's, uh, there's nothing there. It's, it's, all, it's all, you know, uh, snow and wind. I mean, there's, there's nothing there holding him up except perception. And so what we really need to yes. do is attack the perception. So when we talk about the world government, there is no yes. world government. There's only – for the United States, there's only a national government. Well, actually, it should be a federal government. There's a difference, which, which we can explain. National is top-down. Federal actually has separate departments. States have responsibility. Federal government gets delegated certain responsibilities by the states. That's how it's supposed to work. But the idea that yeah. people think the federal government's always supreme, that's a bunch of nonsense. People think the judges right. have a lifetime appointment. That's nonsense, too. The big question, and I'll get to him in a second. The big question for you is, did you learn in law school that judges um, and, uh, and lawyers, was it, let's just go with judges, the judicial system can interpret the law? Did they teach that as a subject, the interpretation of law? 
Well, they have a basic constitutional law class mm-hmm. uh, that everyone is required to take. Okay. That, you know, there are certain, uh, certain courses in each of the main areas that are required uh, courses, and then you have certain electives if you want to mm-hmm. specialize more in a certain area, you can do that, like taxation mm-hmm. or something like that, uh, or property-related uh uh, things, but um, you know they don't spend a lot of time. And in fact, thinking back now, this goes back several decades uh, mm-hmm. to law school, my law school days, and I don't, so I don't remember exactly. But I don't, I don't have a recollection of ever really studying the Constitution. Uh, you know, as that's the saddest thing I've heard all day. Yeah, <laughs> right there, well, it's like yeah, oh, no, uh, yeah. but. In, in constitutional law class, you uh-huh. study a lot of different cases covering uh-huh. a lot of different kinds of issues because, again, you're being taught to think like a lawyer. And so wait, wait, wait. So being told to think like a, a lawyer means to study cases and not study the Constitution itself? I think I found a contradiction here. Well, thinking like a lawyer, again, their focus isn't so much on – teaching the law except for common law because, you know, when you go to law school, you're in a particular state, and when you get out, you're going to take the bar exam of a particular state, which often is not the state you went to school in. And so, um, like, I went to school at Northwestern University mm-hmm. Law School, and which, school. incidentally, at your desk, uh, Robert Malone, I believe he went to Northwestern Medical School. Uh, as did my father and uh, another member of my family uh, who has taught there. But, uh, you know, so when you're in law school, can you how to uh, read the cases, how to do research, how to identify issues, how, you know, what questions to ask, you know, how to put together an argument and the evidence and, and all of that kind of thing. Uh, because they know once you, once you graduate, then you go to the state where you're going to practice, and, there, and then you learn more about the law of that particular state uh, and, and more about, you know, federal things. Although, depending on what courses you took in law school, you do learn, you know, law uh, about certain, you know, uh, issues and certain subjects. Uh, but uh, I don't know... And I can't really remember. I don't have a specific recollection of having a course where you sit down and you read the Constitution and you're tested on the, you know, the the contents of the Constitution itself. Um, it's, yeah, let me it's just hold that for a second because I got uh, I've got Pianca on the line here, and I want to get to him too. But this is staggering to me. Sure. It is staggering to me that that you could get through law school, and we had Jeff Jeff Childers on, and that all these folks can go through law school, and not one person has ever raised the question that there's no interpretations clause in the Constitution. There's no delegation of authority to interpret the law; only a delegation to use it and to to uh, resolve cases that arise under the Constitution, not to rule over it and say what the Constitution means. The Constitution says what the Constitution mm-hmm. means, and yet that's never addressed. Mm-hmm. So let me yeah, get a quick comment on that. Let's you. bring on. Yeah. Well, I, you, you did. You know, You've been telling me, you know, Pianchi, go ahead. Welcome to the show. You know, it's funny that they, you, that they study cases. Well, if they do things from square one, study founding documents for the country, constitution, and everything else, 
then when they studied the cases, they would see where these cases went wrong. But if you study the cases, you're studying wrong, then you're trying to apply wrong to right, which is the Constitution, and do away with it. You know, it's just like the Second Amendment. You got these interpretations that protect people from guns where it should be protecting the guns from certain people because it's the certain people that do wrong things with the guns. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting take on it. I like that. See what you walked into, yeah. Sally? Sure. <laughs> Everything's fair game on this show. Um, yeah, this I, was, is the, I was just going to say that in, in law school, uh, I do remember a lot about uh, learning about the common law, which is a different sort of body of, of law than the statutes, statutory so, law. So, so tell us law, the difference. So, Let's, yeah. Well, okay, common law is what you find reflected in the cases. Before there was statutory law, uh-huh. Uh, you know, judges would decide cases, and uh-huh. uh, so a body of law developed out of out of that. Um, uh, you know about you know like in criminal law, you know what what constituted a crime, or in tort law, you know if if somebody uh, injured you know somebody else or committed you know, a kind of tort against them or defamation, you know there should be there should be you know. Uh, a remedy, you know, for that. So certain law developed just out of, you know, what, what was right and, and judges would make uh, decisions. And then along came statutory law and it would be, you know, codified, you know, in writing that this is the law. And uh, so, uh, you know, we learned a lot of the common law. What, what does the case law say? And then different types, different subjects like, for example, if you're in environmental law, that was mostly, you know, statutory law or based on the regulations, based on written laws, as opposed to having come up just through um, a sense of what's right and wrong that was developed through the case law. Well, I... I got I got a question for you. Um, just now that we have uh, this great opportunity, it seems to me that there's two great legal traditions. There's the French tradition, uh, you know, the Code Napoleon, you know, statutory law, uh, guilty until proven innocent, is like French law. Uh, the English tradition is just the opposite. It's common law based on cases and experience, and innocent until proven guilty. And that's originally where we got it from. And yet we have both in the United States, but they seem to be in conflict. You know, where's the common law? Where's the case law? Where's the statutory law? Do you, does that, is that a fair description of the two basic, you know, standards of law or creation of law? Well, I had never thought of it that way. Uh, but Welcome to Action Radio. That's <laughs> what we do here. Yeah, really. Uh, thanks, Greg. And uh, before I uh, officially uh, <laughs> woken up, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> that'll that'll teach me, you know, not to do that again. Oh no, I want to hear more from you. I love having you on. No, don't get me wrong. But that's, that's this is this is why this show is different than every other show because we don't treat people like idiots. We do ask the tough questions. We conceptualize. We imagine. We come up with things that no one's ever thought of, and then we ask those questions. That's what we're here for, amongst other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're asking questions because uh, people need to be asking more questions. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, it. I think that whole mentality of asking questions can be contagious because 
uh, it seems that a lot of people, they don't even think about asking questions because they, they just accept what they hear, you know, as being true and, like, what question is there to ask? Um, yeah, we need to, we need to make that, asking questions fashionable uh, again. And so what happened to question authority? I used to have that bumper sticker. I need a new one. Let me get to Pianchi because he had a question. Pianchi? Mm-hmm. Well, if people don't do the – today, <clears throat> things are not taught like it should be. You know, we talk about all the time, the power rests in the people than the states. Federal law, states don't have to abide by federal law. <clears throat> if they think that if the state takes a position that it's anti-constitutional, they could tell the federal government to go pound sand. Now, here's the kicker. And when they do, what can the federal government do? They can't do anything. And I always like to go back to the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit when the federal government told states that you got to implement it. Some states say we're not. Federal government said, uh, well, we would hold your federal funding. And I think it was a state or two say, well, you can't withhold from us what we don't give you. So people need to get back into that mode of thinking. And judges don't make law. Rulings are not law. Ruling is based on a judge hearing the dispute between two different parties. And that's it. Sally? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, you have some cases um, where you don't have a jury uh, and then other that are decided by just by a judge uh, and then other cases that are decided by juries, but the judge is still sort of presiding and makes decisions about some procedural things uh, like uh, will certain evidence be admitted <clears throat> or not that the jury can consider. Yeah, like election well, fraud, the, the, for example? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Couldn't resist that yeah. one. Well, actually, um, the the judges in those cases, with the exception of one that I know of, uh, this was earlier on, uh, they were all uh, dismissed on the basis of procedural grounds where the mm-hmm. judge said, well, standing. You know, we're uh, they don't – they're not um, entitled to bring this particular kind of case, and therefore we just dismiss the case. So they never yeah. even got to the merits of the case. They never looked at the evidence of the case. And, yeah, we don't accept standing. Uh, that's what a lot of, standing a lot of standing is not acceptable on action radio. It's, it's not a legal standard that we, we hold with. Standing is, 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 right. is like judicial escape clause. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah, valid. It, yeah, exactly. So they'll, they'll try and find you know some procedural grounds to avoid letting the case actually come to trial where evidence can be presented and then a jury can make a decision. Uh, And Mm -hmm. that's part of the control that's exercised by, um, you know, the wealthy elites who have um, gained control in one way or another over uh, judges and others in the, in the uh, judicial system. You know, judges don't have to be lawyers. <clears throat> you know, you, you, you remember right. the story about you remember the story about Solomon and the two women that was arguing over yes. a child. Yeah. And he said, "Well, he'll sell this." He, he, he told, "Cut the child in half and give each one half." So the real mother said, "No, let her have it." 
Mm-hmm. And then right then and there, using critical thinking, he knew who the rightful mother was. Yeah, and exactly. You know, that exact example is one that I used in um, uh, a book I wrote a few years ago, which initially I had in, in the uh, COVID vaccines book as well. But it's like, how do you know who to believe when people, two different people, two different sides are making just the opposite statements, how do you know who to believe? And and one of the ways is I call it the Solomon filter. And hmm. and basic, basically it, it's based on that story, uh, but, but it, the, the premise of it is, is okay, if, if somebody has something of great value to lose, um, uh, versus do they have something of great value to gain that can help you determine who's telling the truth so in this in that example uh, the real mother stood to lose something of great value and she was willing to make a sacrifice uh and uh you know in order for the baby to live so she was more credible than the other woman who who was not the real mother who claimed that's my baby that's my baby she wasn't willing to you know to to give up her claim and so you know she would stand to gain something you know from this and so that to me is kind of a, a test you know so like in the in the whole COVID-19 situation okay look at the people who are claiming safe and effective what do they have or lose something? What about all the doctors like Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, uh, Ryan Cole, Pierre Corey, you know, Jim Thorpe, Deb Viglione, all those doctors, do they stand to lose or to gain something by taking the position that they have that, you know, the, that the COVID shots are dangerous? They're not safe and effective. Do they stand to lose something of, of great value? If so, they're probably telling the truth. I want and to add one more on, to that. As you were talking, you said something to lose, something to gain. And then I thought I would add a third criteria, nothing to lose. Because if you have no liability, if you have, there's mm-hmm. nothing holding you back. If you can't be held criminally liable because an emergency use, uh, emergency declaration has been declared and you can't be held civilly liable because Congress stupidly gave it away in 86 you know, and said that uh, vaccine manufacturers are, are, are not liable, of course, we're trying to change that, then would you would consider nothing to lose as a, as a third criteria uh, in your Solomon filter? Um, possibly. I hadn't actually thought about that yet, uh, but now you've given me food for thought. However, I mm-hmm. want to point out that, okay, you're making the assumption that that, that liability protection is going to stick, and that's going to be a big question because, as you know, or probably know, fraud vitiates everything. You know, fraud will negate uh, mm-hmm. anything like that. So okay. uh renders things null and void. Therefore, and, and one thing we know is, even uh, from the FDA, that these are not vaccines. And so that's one prong of the argument is they are not even actually vaccines. So they shouldn't be covered by that liability protection. Uh, but then uh, another aspect of that is all the fraud involved 
you know, in this this whole thing that should remove their liability protection. So technically, it looks like they have liability protection, but mm-hmm. do they really when you look at the evidence? So that's something that, uh, well, Karen Kingston really um, speaks to, uh, even though she's not a lawyer, she's she's got a lot of the evidence. And next month it's, uh, in Atlanta, there's going to be a, COVID, lit, uh, COVID litigation conference that Steve Kirsch is and his foundation are uh, sponsoring, and so there will be a lot of attorneys dealing, uh, you know, with strategies and so forth about different uh, uh, COVID-related issues, uh, whether it's lawsuits against hospitals or the protocols that they. Uh, that they insisted upon, like during you know, COVID, COVID crisis, uh, whether it's uh, vaccine injuries, um, you know, the failure to grant uh, hey, Sally, or religious exemptions. Yeah, I have to hold you up. I have to hold you up. Our guest yeah. of the day is here, so so stand by, Pianki, Sally, stand by. Oh. I'm going to introduce him right now. We have Dr. Robert Malone. So I actually got this from Wikipedia, which is not your best source, but some of it's factual and some of it's totally irrational. He is a physician, biochemist. His early work focused on messenger RNA technology, pharmaceuticals, and drug repurposing research. He studied computer science at Santa Barbara City College for two years, acting as a teaching assistant in 1981. He received his BS in biochemistry from the University of California, uh, Davis, 1984. His MS in biology from the University of California, San Diego in 1988. I've run out of music, but I'm going to keep going because this is a great list. And his MD from Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, 1991, and attended Harvard Medical School for a year-long postdoctoral studies program. He's got more education than just about anybody I know. <laughs> Dr. Robert Malone, welcome to Action Radio. Well, uh, thank you, Greg. I didn't know that Wikipedia had been updated like that. They usually, uh, what they have on there is a lot of really nasty stuff. I was getting uh, to that. So <laughs> That's nice. It sounds, it sounds like uh, at least some of the truth is in there. It used to be clean, uh, you know, just simple discussion, but it's all been weaponized. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. In fact, we've both been under this uh, this whole censorship for quite a while. I'll tell you my story a little bit. I want to hear your story, but I also want to get you a, a round of applause here for everything you're doing. There we go. Um, one of life's little ironies is that you and I are born several hours apart, which is kind of interesting. I'm October 19th, you're October 20th. I mean, literally same year, same everything. So that's one of those little, in, little coincidences I find rather interesting. Cool. Where were you born? Uh, Toronto, Canada. How about you? Toronto. Okay. Yeah, for me, it was the old Stanford Hospital in Palo Alto. Okay, yeah. Interesting, because I spent several years, actually about 30 years out in, in California. All right, so the part that Wikipedia that I didn't get to, it says, uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, Malone, that's you, promoted misinformation about the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines. So my contention has always been since very early in this process, we're talking February 2020, that the real misinformation is that the vaccines are safe and effective. Uh, you created this thing. So, so tell me about it. Did it, uh, when you set out to do this, did it work out as intended? Was it used as intended? Um, tell me your story with, with uh, messenger RNA uh, vaccines. So uh, I was 28 to 29 at the time, mm-hmm. uh, working on a PhD at, 
the Salk Institute, trying to ask questions about how RNA folds and gets structured to be inserted or encapsulated into retroviruses. Mm-hmm. And I just had to build technology to ask the questions that I wanted to ask. And that one thing led to another, and then suddenly I had a whole new way of delivering polynucleotides, RNA and DNA, into cells mm-hmm. and to tissues. And the question was, what was it going to be good for? I was working in a gene therapy lab on viral gene therapy. And uh, the truth was that it really didn't work very well. It was pretty inefficient. Hmm. I had a background in taxonology and an awareness that gene therapy wasn't going to work because of the immune response against the foreign protein, even though it was the good protein. And so I already knew that the only application really viable for gene therapy was for vaccines. And so those things came together with some invention disclosures and led to a group of patents. But uh, I then was in academia for about a decade and a half and worked on improving the tech for delivery and could never overcome the toxicity. And so I turned to other technologies like direct injection, jet injection, and use of pulsed electrical fields. my wife and I founded a company together with others called Anobio that's still up and running for doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a surprise to me when the CIA through DARPA decided to pick up the RNA technology. Merck had purchased the rights and had basically pocket vetoed it, um, blocked anybody else from working on it, including me. Uh, and then all of a sudden the patents expired and the field took off. And a bunch of money. Isn't that convenient? I never <laughs> what a coincidence, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the the I just to be clear, I had nothing to do with creating these products. See, this is where it gets interesting because you know about the technology. Um, did again? Let's get back to that uh, thing I was thinking earlier. The way this has worked out in practice is this: what you. Uh, these are obviously they're not, you know, I've been against this ever since I found out all the bad things about it. It's not working out as intended where you must have at some point along the way, because your book, let's get your book title in here too, uh, Lies the Government Told Me. So somewhere along the way you trusted the system and then it looks like the system totally misused what you were trying to accomplish. Where'd it go wrong? Yeah. So, so since, since those days when I was an academic entrepreneur, Mm-hmm. I had transitioned after the 9-11 attacks and the anthrax force attacks to working closely with DOD in the biodefense area and became a specialist in regulatory affairs and clinical research, clinical development, project management, mm-hmm. all the toll toolkit. Um, I've won literally billions of dollars from my clients in, in contracts. So I'm kind of a specialist at working at the interface between government and industry. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, what I saw happening here was, first off, they were completely disregarding the bioethics norms that I had had drilled into me over decades, uh, which you have to accept and, and be trained in to do clinical research. So I objected to what they were doing with the coercion, enticement for children, you know, ice cream cones to take the jab, right. uh, all of the propaganda that was going on. That was all for a experimental medical product, this is completely contrary to established bioethics, where people have to have informed consent. There wasn't any informed consent provided, and they even uh, suppressed any attempts to get informed consent. People, for instance, that had experienced adverse events 
were prohibited from speaking about it on social media. Mm-hmm. So they were they had the ultimate gaslighting. They not only had experienced a medical event, a problem associated with these unlicensed products and their administration, but then they were told that they were crazy. And then they were told that they couldn't talk about it on, on any platform. I mean, the, the, the people that have been vaccine injured, and frankly, the ones that have died, are, mm-hmm. are major victims here and deserve uh, respect and uh, recognition, and they deserve treatment. But that, so that was what really set me off at first. And then uh, this vaccinologist in Canada, Byra Bridal, obtained this Japanese common technical document that's fancy words for the dossier that Pfizer had to submit to the governments to say this is justified that we proceed uh, with these products. And uh, he was worried about what he had observed, what his conclusions were from looking at it. And so had it sent to me for my evaluation, because I was more of an expert in regulatory affairs, et cetera, I was shocked after my evaluation, I sent it to an even more senior guy. He was shocked, and he said, oh, uh, by the way, you missed these things. So I then wrote that up, and that became kind of a big deal. And that really is what started me down the road of saying, no, this is not right, what's being done here. Yeah, and Chris, let me go after you for saying that. Um, a bunch of things have come up. We've had uh, several people raise the issue. In fact, Jeff Childers, who's an attorney who got the first uh, mask mandate overturned in Gainesville, Florida. Yeah, talked I, about I, know the... Jeff, I know Jeff pretty well. Okay, well, I'll send you his show then. Um, and just for, for reference, too, uh, I've got a couple of bills. I've got a lot of information, but you can reach me. Uh, I don't like to give you know, guest emails, but mine is greg at writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-E-W-S. And uh, if you already know Jeff, that's great. I'll send you his show. Um, but uh, everybody, the Department of Defense keeps coming up. DARPA keeps coming up. And now the CIA. So how much of this was, was military? Because it goes to the idea of this being a bioweapon. Um, we actually do citizen legislation here. This, this, is a, this, is one of the, this is the world's most unique show, I, I tend to say, because we actually write citizen legislation. We've got a bill on vaccine product liability. We've got a bill that ends big tech censorship. But one of the first ones I wrote called for early treatments and talked about this as a potential bioweapon. So from what you know now, how, how involved was the Department of Defense early on with either the vaccine or the virus itself? And, and what do you know now about that? So... Uh... That's an interesting question, and one that's currently being investigated by uh, Senate investigators. I I refer the audience to the work of Catherine Watt, and she puts out a substack called Bailiwick News. It is just a stunning uh, aggregation of documentation about the contracts and, and all of the preceding legislation that's been put in place. That clearly ties this back down to DOD. The DOD has denied, apparently, that they've been involved in funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but I've had it first person from people on the inside that that's untrue. Okay. We clearly have documentation about NIH funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So we have the fingerprints of both DOD and NIH on the genesis of this virus. I think it's now really global consensus that if this wasn't engineered in Wuhan Institute of Virology, it was engineered in another lab. Uh, but this this uh, storyline about bat soup is really no longer defensible. Oh, yeah. The, no, but... Uh, 
this is where it gets interesting. The contracts that were issued, uh, as mm-hmm. you know, has has come out um, in in some of this uh, recent um, pending uh, lawsuits. Uh, I think Brooke, Brooke Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. uh, documents She's been on this. Yeah. This logic that, um, as Sacha Latpova has really encapsulated very well with her statement. Pfizer is claiming that it is not, it's not they that have uh, performed the fraud, but rather they have delivered the fraud that the government ordered. I think that's a very good, concise way to talk about it. This involves the nuances of uh, the contract vehicles that were used, which I'm very, very familiar with, the other transactional authority contract vehicles rather than the standard federal acquisition regulations. These mm-hmm. contract vehicles, which I've used for clients, I know them well, stipulate that anything produced under those contract vehicles are for demonstration purposes only. So uh, the DOD was the entity that managed the contracts that were issued uh, to support the production and manufacturing and distribution of these products, and they used a workaround that allows them to bypass the standard federal acquisition regulations with all of their clauses that really tie down uh, the um, contractor in terms of liability. They were able to circumvent all of that liability, plus they added additional indemnification, as you know, on top of it. So the DOD's fingerprints are all over this. They are the ones that have issued and managed the contracts. The contracts were only supposed to be for production of the demonstration product. They were not supposed to be for production of, they're, they're prohibited from being used for production of a, uh, a product, a final product to be distributed to humans or warfighters. So I'm wondering if that was the so, excuse or the, the pretense that they said that this was a demonstration model. Uh, I think there's a North Carolina lab I've heard about, and then it got transferred over to Wuhan because you couldn't do the research here anymore. And was it, do you believe that it was a demonstration model? Yeah, Ralph Barrett, yeah, exactly. Uh, do you believe that this was a demonstration model, or do you think it was always intended as a as a weapon uh, to be released? I'm not there yet in calling these jabs weapons, personally. No, it's not the virus itself. You're talking about the virus itself. Yes. Yeah, so um, was the virus actually intended as a bioweapon? I can't demonstrate that. Okay. And so... Where, where I'm at is I, I refuse to infer intent. I've had way okay. too much trained expert witness to not do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I can say is uh, these are the artifacts and documents and statements that we can see. So, and I can also say this is functionally how this product or this agent behaved. We can clearly see that this was this shows all the hallmarks of an engineered pathogen. We have paper trails about how and why it was engineered. Those may or may not be false artifacts. They may be basically intelligence community uh, distractions or covers. That's the problem I have with the um, documents that were apparently pulled off of the server at DARPA. Hmm. Is I have no, we have no um, uh, chain of custody to show that those weren't a some sort of a manufactured cover to 
um, transfer responsibility to NIAD from the intelligence community. And that's absolutely how things work in D.C. There's all kinds of, of um, you know, inside baseball manipulations to um, cover uh, responsibility and liability and transfer it to others. So uh, the, the product clearly, the, the, the virus itself clearly did act as a, as a, um, a lethal agent. It was far less lethal than the government and most governments believed it was based, but that, uh, and we now have Mr. Gates saying so, that this was a gross overreaction, that the pathogen was never that lethal. But we also have clear documentation that that belief system was built using CCP propaganda that was pushed into the West, really fifth generation warfare. Uh-huh. And it was propagated through Matthew Pottinger, among others, down through the national security apparatus in the White House and to Deborah Burks and to her commissioner committee that was tasked with managing this. And Deborah Burks had that position, which she was really not qualified for, because Matthew Pottinger's unclear Vietnamese or Chinese wife who works at the CDC advocated uh-huh. with Matthew uh, for uh, Deborah Burks's, uh, um being appointed to this position. So there's a cascade of early events that are still not really clear, but appear to show that what happened was we had CCP propaganda pushed into the White House that resulted in a gross overreaction. And that was then amplified using corporate media and all of these other tools of really psyops and fifth gen warfare through the militaries. This is quite literally documented in in multiple um, FOIA documents and press coverage. Most of the Five Eyes nations, if not all of them, used uh, military uh, capabilities to deploy uh, weapons-grade fifth-gen psyops on their civilian populations to manipulate and compel them to take these products. That's why we had all this harmonized propaganda that was so effective. This was, this was truly a military operation. So that's another way the DOD was linked into this. Now, I also know that um, a lieutenant colonel that I had mentored during the Ebola outbreak, where I was at the tip of the spear for the product that eventually I got sold off to Merck, that's the Merck Ebola vaccine. That was, that. in that, I, I encountered a lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Army uh, that was involved in that project and uh, did my best to help him out. He called me about a year ago. It turns out he had been pulled off of his assignment and assigned to, as, as I think of, um, right on the threshold of becoming a colonel, he's probably a colonel now, if not retired, he was assigned to be project manager for Moderna. And so it's clear that we had DOD involved operationally in Operation Warp Speed um, in the Moderna product development, in the contracts to Pfizer. All of this revolves around DOD, the intelligence community and the national security state as and then out through Department of Homeland Security in particularly relevant, you know, relating to the uh, propaganda and censorship. And we now have documentation of those involvements 
coming from the Twitter files and the lawsuit from the two attorneys general. Wow. You've just given me a ton of homework. I need to do a time check. Can you stay longer than the bottom of the hour or do you have to go at the, at, at in 15 minutes? Um, let's time? see. When's my, when's my next hit? They got me pretty well booked. My next yeah, hit I know. is at uh, 10, 10 Eastern. 10, so 10 Eastern? It would be 9, 10 here. Yeah, 10. Okay, stay as long as you want because I've got a gazillion questions and I've got, I've got two callers on the line. Um, and so one who wrote a book on COVID-19 and one who's one of my regular callers. And I've got so many questions. But I want to uh, – but my, my goal here, I wanted, we need to talk about the book, which is which – is, I'd love to read this. I don't have it uh, – quite honestly, I haven't been through it yet. Um, and also I want to tell you what we do here with citizen legislation. I want to get my callers in. And I, I can't do all that in 15 minutes. That's what I wanted to check. So your book, let's, let's, let's start there. Could, uh, where's my book title here? Lies My Government Told Me and a Better, a better Future Coming. Uh, and then we'll talk about children's health defense. So let's start with the lies, then we'll talk about the better future. So where, what are the big lies? Let's, yeah, let's well, get hold those on. out. First, first thing for yep. your audience. Oh, sure. Um, until Go ahead. Monday, until Monday, the ebook versions of this book, mm-hmm. Ed Dowd's Cause Unknown, The Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022, and Bobby Kennedy's book, uh, the real Anthony Fauci are all free on Kindle until Monday. So if you're interested in these and you're on a budget, you can download them for free. We all, all the authors wanted this information just generally available to as many people as possible. So I just want to get that out. No, that's great. And what's the website again? Is it the Amazon website for your book or where do they find yeah, it? Yeah, you can One get it through Amazon for Kindle or eBooks. Download for free. Well, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. All right. So the big lies. Well, let's get the process. Um, Sally, Sally Saxon's on the line. She's an attorney. She's one of the uh, authors of uh, my book here, COVID-19 uh, Vaccines and Beyond. And we talked about trusting the government. And I came here as an immigrant. You know, I walked into the Vietnam War and, uh, uh, and the Watergate hearings in 1972. I was 12 years old. And so I didn't trust this government in this country when I first got here. And, and now it seems that there was good reason. But a lot of people grow up trusting the government that you believe the bureaucrats, you believe the experts. Uh, you said yourself you're doing a bunch of research and you, you know, it seemed like a decent system. But somewhere along the way, something happened. So, and then the lies started. And the, the accumulation of lies gets you to the point where you don't trust what's going on. And it doesn't make sense. And you start asking questions. So let's, let's go for that part. You don't have to give away the whole book. But uh, what are some of the lies? And, and how did you find they were lies? Well, the lies, I think, are increasingly self-evident to all of us. The uh, safe and effective is one of the biggest ones. I'm usually asked what was the biggest lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, uh, you know, we had the, the lockdowns, social distancing, mask mm-hmm. use, um, uh, suppression of early treatment, uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were not effective, Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we had all the lies around the vaccine, that the vaccine was adequately tested, it was fully safe and effective, it would, uh, if only uh, X, you know, an X with a, a, a sliding number, percent of the population would take the vaccine than we ach- would achieve herd immunity, uh, that the vaccine was more effective than natural immunity. It kind of goes on and on. One of the critiques of the book um, uh, from humorous is that it ought to be the length of the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> the, uh, so it's, it, you know, then once you get through those really high-level big ones, then there's a whole lot of underlying nuance uh, in, the, in the disinformation that's been spread, the, the propaganda, the censorship, 
uh, the denial that the censorship occurred, uh, the um, denial that uh, spike is a toxin, the denial that these are gene therapy technologies. All of those had reasons. And at first, I thought that these were being justified, the lies coming out of Tony Fauci's mouth almost in a continuous stream, were coming out because of the logic of the noble lie, that it was in the interest, the, the government believed this was in the interest of the general population uh, to lie because it, it would uh, in some way avoid civil unrest or uh, vaccine hesitancy. That seems to have been their justification, but then over time, it's become absurd. And now we're in a position where everyone can see that the practices that were deployed largely had nothing to do with public health. They had a lot to do with control. And then we see the uh, undeniable upward transfer of wealth and the financial manipulations, whether they were uh, preconceived, and this was, you know, per event 201, all planned in order to enable some uh, financial goal. Ernest Wolf uh, advocates that's the case, and Dowd also believes that to be the case, that the real underlying agenda here was a uh, financial and political control agenda that had nothing to do with public health. Uh, but um, it's it's really hard to square the circle of what we've seen our government do to us over the last three years. And it's not just our government. It's not just the United States government. That's one of the benefits I've had from being able to travel so much. You know, I've been called to travel uh, and still am all the time. I'll be in testifying in the Senate in, tech, in I'm sorry, in Mexico um, at the beginning of next week. Wow. But what I've been able to see in all my travels is that uh, all of these things were deployed simultaneously globally. Mm-hmm. That's stunning. Even down to the use of common language like the dirty dozen, that accusation of uh, certain individuals being the leader, leading spreaders of misinformation. Uh, all of this was coordinated. All of the purchasing of influencers, musicians, comedians, uh, um, broadcasters, uh, all of this was done in a coordinated fashion globally. I was in Vienna uh, about a month ago and learned that right in that first wave, virtually all of the artists and musicians in Vienna, which is all about the arts, all got paid right off the bat to um, support and endorse the vaccine products. There's never been anything like this in the history of the world. You know, and I'm thinking, I'm listening uh, as we're talking here. Um, a lot of things that I've talked about on the show, I'd, I'd like to run by you. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of them is that uh, had we had freedom, it would have worked. If we'd followed the Constitution, it would have worked. Freedom brought about early treatments. You know, I, I got to, I got connected with Dr. Zelenko uh, very early in the process, and we wrote a bill on reforming the FDA, which I, I want to send you also. Um, in fact, I'm hoping you'll endorse these, but we'll, we'll get to that in, in a little bit. But the thing is that freedom, the freedom of information, the First Amendment, guarantees not only that uh, the speech can be free, but that the listener can get it. And so that was violated. Um, the, the Fourth Amendment, the mandates, you know, a seizure of our person without a warrant, 
that was that was done. You know, everything that was done, it seems like it all was done to preserve COVID, not to save people, but preserve COVID for the ultimate vaccine, which came out December of 2020. But all these things, I've got a CDC chart that says the death rate was basically heading for zero mid-July of 2020. And this is why none of this stuff made sense to me, but that's when they changed the numbers. So if we had freedom, it would have worked. Doctors prescribing things that work would tell other doctors, word would get out, free information exchange, and we would have been fine. We would have learned about hydroxychloroquine, then ivermectin, and then, uh, you know, the Zelenko protocol, vitamin D, C, D, 3, C, uh, azithromycin, these things. Um, but because it was tyranny, because it was masks and isolation and lockdowns and school closures and social distance and fear, and I know you've talked about mass psychosis before, this to me seems the perfect way to prolong and save the virus as opposed to stopping it. What do you think? I think that the case can be made to support that. But again, you're inferring uh, intent, and that's just, for me, a third rail. I don't go there. But in terms I do. of... I do all the, uh, the time. Functional. Yes, yeah. okay, you're, you're allowed to because you're a commentator. Yeah. Um, exactly. I'm a licensed medical professional, and I have constraints on what I no, can No, I understand. Say. Yeah. In terms of your thesis about freedom of speech, what I've been saying is we have clear evidence now that we've had uh, public employees sworn to uphold and protect the Constitution from the lowest level government employees all the way up to the President of the United States that have clearly, unequivocally conspired to circumvent the First Amendment. And what is the remedy for that? Because the only remedy I know is impeachment, and there is no way that we can impeach at this point. The way I hear the story is Mm -hmm. these people, and it's, you know, we can say that it's the Democratic Party, but in fact, the evidence is that it's far broader. It's both parties. It's the Uniparty. But um, the attitude is, catch me if you can. We will do whatever we want to do. And good luck um, holding us accountable. And we'll see you after five years in court and a million dollars, if you're lucky. Uh, in the meantime, we'll have our way with you. That's that's the attitude. It's It's built in that our federal uh, court system is mm-hmm. so clutchy and, uh, and has these, you know, intrinsic biases because of the political appointment of judges that uh, bureaucrats, administrators, the administrative state can pretty much get away with whatever it wants. And until the Supreme Court um, is willing and able to say more than just uh, West Virginia versus EPA, uh, we're, we've got a problem here because uh, there's the, it is. It's catch me if you can. We will do whatever we want to do, and, and good luck um, uh, getting any kind of redress. And that's what you're encountering with all of your court battles. And as you point out, Zelenko and you, of course, you know, collaborated on on action, and uh, Dr. Zelenko has passed away. Uh, yep. You know, he didn't live long. That's that's where we're at, and and uh, and there is no remedy. You know, that right now, uh, it looks like Mr. Biden is going to cede uh, sovereignty to Mr. Tedros at the World Health Organization through the international health regulations that they're basically backdooring as a mm-hmm. treaty without calling it a treaty. 
so that Mr. Tedros can step in whenever he feels so inclined, declare a public health emergency about anything he wants to declare it, which could include gun violence, and impose uh, um, actions on uh, American soil without any approval or oversight. Yeah, you want to see resistance? That's when it's going to start. Um, let me go. We've got uh, Sally Saxon and I've got Pianchi on the line, too. So we can get a, either a quick comment or a question. I'm really glad, sir, that you have some extra time because I really appreciate it. Sally, do you want to have a question um, for Dr. Robert Malone? Oh, uh, no. First of all, it's a, it's a pleasure to, to talk with you. Uh, you know my uh, co-contributing uh, authors uh, of our book, uh, Dr. James Thorpe and Dr. Deborah Viglione. Uh, but I haven't had a, the pleasure of, of meeting you before, so uh, I appreciate that. Um, well, yeah, will you I, be at CPAC in D.C. next week? Uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but I'm, I may be <laughs> at the uh, Atlanta COVID litigation conference next month. I believe you may be one of the speakers at that, I think. Yeah, I think that that's something like that scheduled. I'm I'm so busy I can't keep track of what I'm supposed <laughs> yeah. to be doing. Yeah. Except on a yeah. basis. Steve Kirsch's uh, event, the Vaccine Safety Research yeah. Foundation, is putting on that public litigation. You know, no, I I uh, want to go back and listen to your remarks again that you've made because um, there's a lot to digest there. But uh, and I've been following the you know some of the story about the. Uh, the DOD origins and the military uh, involvement, you know, in this from the beginning. And uh, that's something that uh, really didn't start coming out until after we published our book late last year. But uh, I think it's a story that uh, a lot of people need to know about and be aware of. And uh, so uh, I appreciate your comments about that. And I want to go back and re-listen to what, what you said, because you have a unique perspective uh, of of what went on that that others don't, um, but also some of the resources you pointed Do you have a, to. I think just to jump in, you helpful. got a question. We only got limited time. Do you have a question for Dr. Malone? Uh, uh, no, not not specifically. <laughs> I don't. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's go to Pianchi real quick here. Uh, Pianchi, uh, you're on with Dr. Robert Malone. Do you have a question for him? No, this congratulations, but I have no questions. Okay, all right. So let's go back to uh, some stuff that I. I um, there's so many things here. It seems that what happened here, and I don't know if this happened in other countries, but we have a law that uh, that you cannot uh, get an emergency use authorization if there's another treatment um, that's approved. And in other words, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were long approved drugs. And so it seems to me, and I've run this by people too, that they took the legal which was these already approved drugs made them illegal by banning censorship, lying about them and everything else. So they could take something that would have otherwise been illegal, which is an experimental uh, vaccine that were turning out to be gene therapy and made that legal. So they actually reversed the entire legal process in order to accomplish this. That had to have taken some planning. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah. Uh, So I, I asked early on, I specifically asked the FDA about this question and got a response, and they denied that that was the case. So even though the language clearly stated as you are summarizing it, the FDA denied that that was the case. Uh, Then we have the issue that there was clearly effective uh, monoclonal antibodies at various points in time. Uh The FDA is asserting that uh, remdesivir 
uh, was effective. Most of us would disagree with that. Uh, oh, yeah, and especially on this show. These other, these other agents, the FDA, if, if that's the argument, uh, there's already multiple examples of the FDA disregarding that argument outside of the uh, repurposed drug issues. It, I, near as I can tell, mm-hmm. um, we are in an environment akin to that which Catherine Watt is describing, in which there's been a buildup of statutory authorization, uh, all predicated on the declaration of a emergency, medical emergency, uh, that allows standard policies to be completely bypassed. And there seems to have been a willingness on the part of the FDA to disregard all of their prior norms. It's anything goes. As I said, it's catch me if you can, we will do whatever we want to do, and you can't do anything about it. Uh, and if you try, uh, we're going to block you in court every which way we can and uh, drag it out forever. And by the time it's over and there's a determination by the Supremes, it's going to be uh, irrelevant. It, you know, it's going to be yesterday's news. So yeah. that's, that seems to be where we're at is, is they're lawless. I, there's no other way to put it. We have a lawless executive branch. Well, they're not. You know, if you listen to this show, we don't even believe that they're a legal executive branch. We think the election was stolen. It's a, it's a coup d'état. You know, we've explained that in various shows. I don't want to go into a lot of that now, but that's where that's my orientation that they have no legal ability to be there. But what I see is the the, the combination. You know, the the corporate government. You know, melding together of big health, big government health, big pharma, and big tech have all cooperated in this horrible cabal, which I think had to have yeah, been done way ahead of time. The, the, the kind word they use is public-private partnership. Uh, I use fascism. Word that <laughs> we use fascism exactly. here. Yeah. Benito yeah. Mussolini yeah. would define that as fascism, corporatism. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we have, is florid corporatism or fascism. And that is another one of these words that has been weaponized and distorted to the point where in common usage... It has almost no meaning. But this is why in the book, every time I use these political terms, mm-hmm. like uh, inverted totalitarianism, uh, I cite the original political science definitions and literature. I go back to the source information as opposed to the distortions, the very Orwellian distortions of language combined with the memory holding that has been deployed for the last three years on all of us. Yeah, we tried to use correct language here. I've been calling him Dr. Fascist, and I know you, I know, you know who I mean, uh, for the better part of two years now. Well, his full title is uh, Dr. Fascist, the, the uh, genocidal, psychopathic, avaricious, narcissistic, pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher. That's his full title. You can use that. Feel free. <laughs> I have no so, idea who you're talking Exactly. Well, because you're a professional medical certified board. You know, I understand. That's no problem. So just, you know, plausible deniability. All right. Here's a question that I don't think you've been asked before. And I've, I've got hopefully a few of these. When I researched this and I found out, first of all, that Dr. Fascist talked about uh, that Trump's going to have uh, a pandemic in his administration. He announced that five days before uh, the inauguration. Everybody knows that. But what people don't know is three months later, uh, April 21st of 2017, they changed the pandemic guidelines. 
So in 2007, in the Bush administration, they had something called a pandemic severity index. They had five different gradations. From I think 90,000 deaths was a, was a category one. Uh, over 1.8 million was a category five. And the lockdowns, the, 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 the masks, the, the segregation, the closures, they didn't really start until a category four, which is upwards of 1.8 million uh, people killed from the pandemic, not comorbidities, nothing else like that. That was done away with in 2017. COVID didn't show up for two years. So this is when I was convinced that, they, that this had been the planning for a long time. They knew about it. Do you know about the differences in the guidelines? Because you would have worked with the, those earlier ones uh, with anthrax and, and Ebola and some of the other things. Do you have a story on that? So, um, so that, that is new to me. Uh, okay. I was buried within the DOD structure rather than uh, HHS. To the extent that I was dealing with HHS, it was – when I was called in to review grants and contracts, and I often served as study section chair for that, mm-hmm. as a specialist in biodefense and vaccines. So my role was basically due diligence on proposals delivered by various companies and okay. not in operational aspects of managing public health. The, uh, the, the paper trail of stepwise modification of norms is uh, incredibly well documented now. And again, I refer to, you know, I've just recently encountered Bailiwick News, the the, uh, um, substack produced by Catherine Watt. She has done an exceptional job in documenting the uh, chain of events in this gradual erosion of civil rights and uh, the pre-planning for uh, deployment of, of force, really, to totalitarian mm-hmm. um, in the events of a public health crisis. It's very hard to come to any other conclusion that yeah. we have weaponized public health for purposes of uh, political control and, and financial benefit. Uh, it's, it's just in your face. The way I express it to people that are in the financial community, like the Bitcoin people often have me on podcasts, is um, I can't say because I'm not invited to these closed meetings what their intent was. But when you see all of the vectors all pointing in the same direction towards totalitarian intimate control, you have to it's it's reasonable to infer that that was the purpose. If this was just incompetence or random actions, you would see things um, going both ways, but you don't. You see all of these vectors, all of these actions, all pointing towards a stepwise increase in the ratcheting of the ability of the federal government to deploy a a totalitarian response to a a defined um, or imagined public health crisis uh, and it, it has all the hallmarks of having um, the, the intention of the purpose being something other than public health because the, the, um, the nature of these responses and the willingness to deploy them is uh, very difficult to justify because it's not based on science. We, we have absolutely no science backing most of these measures that have been deployed. And so you have to... You have to ask yourself, if it makes no sense 
from a public health standpoint, yet it's being deployed using the rationale of public health together with fear. What the heck is the true purpose? And that was that's my next question. Book, that's why the book goes into all of this nuance about the administrative okay. state, about the World Economic Forum, uh, about the World Health Organization, uh, about you know what what has really happened behind the scenes here. And once you see all of that, you see things like the fact that Yale University uh, performed a 600-person randomized prospective clinical trial before there was ever a vaccine, testing different messaging strategies to get people to accept vaccine and to uh, influence their colleagues and peers to take vaccine. Before there was ever a vaccine, this randomized clinical trial with a six-month follow-up was performed, and they don't disclose who funded it. When you see that kind of stuff, which is essentially mm-hmm. clinical testing of propaganda in, in a human clinical trial, you, you have to conclude that there's something more going on here. And uh, I, it, it, this is why the work of uh, Ernst Wolf, uh, Ed Dowd, others in the financial community is so intriguing because they make the case that behind all of this are agendas having to do with uh, the need for uh, advancing uh, massive data collection, uh, tools for managing uh, finances, and uh, um, uh, allowing responses to an impending financial crisis that is hard to deny. I mean, it's right on the horizon right now. We're having the uh, collapse and you know anticipated collapse of the social security system. Uh, there's a significant risk if the BRICS initiative moves forward and uh, the petrodollar is replaced of hyperinflation in the United States, which uh, historically will is creates high risk for um, major civil unrest. There's a lot oh, yeah. of threatening things on the horizon and. Uh, the case is made by many that all of this was weaponized for purposes having more to do with those issues than public health. The other thing is that we can see at Event 201 this uh, meeting that was funded by the World Economic Forum and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation held at a known spook shop in uh, Maryland at Johns Hopkins, this event to one planning, they brought together people that are all coming from disciplines and organizations that have a bias towards a militarized um, totalitarian response. You know, there's a bunch of, the spooks are all over the whole biodefense complex, all the way up internationally. Bepi is is led by spooks. And... Uh, we should talk about what they are. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's that's just the way this business is. And uh, if you're in it, you encounter these people. They're the ones that are driving a lot of this, and they have agendas that go far beyond uh, what we're able to perceive, what I'm able to perceive. And that's 
that's really the, the, the issue here is um, why did we allow people who have these uh, pre, you know, these biases towards heavy-handed totalitarian militarized responses uh, be the only one involved in the planning? It's, it's good to have war game planning for the government. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense for potential risks. But if you only bring together people who think that the only way to handle this is to imagine that we're going to have massive civil unrest and therefore we have to have massive totalitarian responses to quell that civil unrest, you end up with a playbook that is exactly what we've had deployed. And then once they encountered the virus, any military officer will tell you the first time you encounter the enemy, you have to revise your battle plan. They never changed it. They assumed that we would have a highly effective vaccine that was safe. They assumed a highly lethal pathogen. They assumed there were no drugs that would be useful to treat it. And that's what the basis for their planning. And they never revised that. They just mindlessly marched on and deployed that on all of us. Well, I used to say all roads lead to vaccine. You know, and I thought, where's where's the treatments? Where's the uh, where's the questions? And this is what was fascinating. Let me because we are our time is limited. And I got Josie on the line too. She's going to want to talk to you. Um, what we do here at Action Radio is is something very, I think, very special. Uh, we're the only show that actually writes citizen legislation, supplies it to all levels of government, you know, members of Congress, state legislatures, local governments. And there's two bills that I want to to send to you. This one, I'm hoping you, I hope you jot down my email so we can we can communicate on this. The first one is vaccine manufacturer full product liability. I wrote this back in March of 2021. So this is a year after, you know, the 15 days to, uh, to slow the spread. It's very simple. It gets rid of the vaccine injury compensation program because Big Pharma is going to pay that. Uh, it, uh, it, goes, it gets declaration of emergency. But the keys are in the two places in law where it says that vaccine manufacturers shall not be liable in a civil action. I check out the word not and basically replace it with the word fully. So it says vaccine manufacturers shall be fully liable. And I'd like to get this to you because if you can, Judy Mikovits has endorsed it, some other folks have endorsed it, but if you're, Dr. Zelenko endorsed it, you know, when he was still alive, because I wrote this a couple of years ago. If you're interested yeah, the in- Yeah, person in, that you really need to get it to is Ron Johnson. I tried. I sent it to him oh. <laughs> a gazillion times. Yeah. So, so that's my, so then can you help facilitate that? Can you take it to him possibly? Sure. Or, I'll be glad to take a look. But okay. um, as I was saying, what the, the truth is, that they have layers and layers of indemnification clauses. It's not just a simple one-shot deal. They, they have built a firewall, um, a castle wall of indemnification here. And uh, the real problem is the underlying belief system that if we don't indemnify the pharmaceutical industry, then they will run away and uh, not participate. And uh, time has proven that the U.S. government is incompetent uh, for developing, uh, manufacturing, and deploying medical countermeasures. They've, they've repeatedly failed, despite the billions that have been pumped into Tony Fauci and his whole enterprise and all of his propaganda that he puts out to Congress. Um, the government just can't do it. And so that's why all of these clauses and things are built in there, is they're basically trying to sweeten the pot to get pharma to play, because otherwise pharma won't play. And until you overcome that, 
until you have the electorate so pissed off about what's happened here and the fact that they're all given um, short shrift in favor of pharma, uh, you're never going to have change in these laws. No one's going to say yes to it. The, the Johnson only has 17 senators that have signed off on his bill to stop the power grab by the WHO through the international health regulations. Mm-hmm. I mean, a large fraction of Senate and House, as well as executive branch, are completely compromised by their relationship with pharma. You've talked about uh, regu- regulatory recapture or what we call corruption, <laughs> graft, bribery, things like that. Um, I actually have a similar call to Josie's number, so I, I kind of goofed on that. But let's, get, let's bring Josie on real quick and uh, see if she has a question or comment for you. Josie, you're on with uh, Dr. Malone. Uh, good morning, Dr. Malone. Um, what I want to see is I want to stop this killing of uh, innocent people, especially children, from all these vaccines. Uh, this was well organized years ago. Uh, and the COVID virus was just uh, to scare people. But that's what I want to see. And uh, have you guys team up that the you guys need to get together and and stop this? Which guys, Jesse? All the doctors. <laughs> okay. All the good doctors. Yeah, Jesse. So, Jesse, um, I'm uh, involved in a group called that goes by the name International COVID Summit. And we're over 17,000 physicians and medical scientists. Uh, I, Josie, I traveled over 400,000 miles last year speaking about these things and doing everything I can. I, I, can't, I can't work any harder. I have a full day today of broadcasting just to illustrate. Uh, and as I mentioned, I'll be testifying in the Mexican Senate next uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it is. I travel constantly. Uh, I've been to Europe three times already this year, uh, twice uh, to the UK. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm doing everything I can, and so are many others, but we aren't enough, and we really need people like you to do things like learn about fifth-generation warfare and start fighting back Become warriors. Don't be victims. And um, fight just as you're doing. I got one more question for you. Go ahead. Um, since I'm in, I'm in communication with Cuba, I'm from Nicaragua, I have people in Colombia, Costa Rica. So are all these vaccines, like let's say Pfizer, is Pfizer the same thing for all these countries or they're different? There's no way that the honest answer is there's no way to know because Pfizer in particular has basically scared the politicians and coerced them into signing agreements that bypass their normal regulatory affairs testing processes. And they do things like uh, include language that if the government was to do things like test the composition of the vaccines, then they would forfeit Mm -hmm. national assets. In many cases, in these contracts, um, uh, airports or harbor rights or other things are included um, and would be forfeited to Pfizer in the case that the nation breaks the contract. This is why it was so 
significant that the Thai government broke their contract with Pfizer. So mm-hmm. the bottom truth is that we can't tell because uh, by the terms of the contracts executed with each of these countries, uh, those countries are not allowed to test the components of the product that's shipped to them. That should tell you right there there's a problem. Because, yeah, hold, hold on, Jesse. I want to you know, doctor, one more question. Yeah, let me tell them quickly. Doctor, okay. uh, when I talked to the people in Cuba, they said their vaccine is Russian vaccine. So that's why I was asking. That's it. Yes, so there there are over 10 licensed vaccines at the World Health Organization. And many Latin American countries use uh, vaccines from Russia or China. Not everybody has to use the uh, mRNA or the gene therapy-based products like the adenoviral vectors. There are others available. But the truth is that with early treatment, there's really no justification for vaccine. If you can treat early, you can save well over 90%, 98% of patients who have significant clinical disease. And once they recover, they have much better immunity. The natural immunity is far superior to the vaccine-induced immunity. So the real way out is the way out that we had at the beginning. It's early treatment with these various drugs uh, to allow people to recover. And with Omicron now, the disease is much less severe than it was with the original strains or with Delta. You know, it's funny. We all think we had COVID here. I'm in uh, Milton, Florida, near Pensacola on the Gulf Coast. Josie's, you know, nearby too. Uh, we all thought it went through December 2019, January 2020. Uh, and then we found out the symptoms later. It's like, oh, we already had that. So we did, a lot of us didn't worry about it because we already had uh, the disease. We, are, we you know, know that the immunity works once you've had it and you know, you've got an immunity to it. So a lot of us were not, you know, particularly freaked out about this and challenged the government lie that all roads have to lead to vaccines and everybody has to have one. Um, we, in the limited time we have left, and I really appreciate your extra time. I know you work hard on this. Yeah, and I, um, and I do have yeah. to jump because I have a, okay. a conference call with Europe that starts in uh, four or five minutes. Okay. Well, just, again, if we can communicate, uh, if you can email greg, greg at writeyourlaws.com. That's our website for our legislation, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Um, then I want to get you the bills and uh, the, the pandemic guidelines from 2007. I think you'll find that interesting. So let's talk about the book. Uh, Lies My Government Told Me and A Better Future Coming from Children's Health Defense. Let's talk about the better future coming in the time that's left. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. So the World Economic Forum and the globalists want to push us into a centralized command economy world in which they have deep granular data on all of us. This is why the need for the digital ID, central bank, digital currency, all of those things. Um, they talk about this as a future of transhumanism in which God is obsolete, man substitutes for God. This is in their literature. They talk about it all the time. Yuval Harari, Homo Deus. They believe we're heading into a fourth industrial revolution moving towards what they call a singularity in which the human species is really um, becomes obsolete. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, we don't have to live in that world. George Orwell himself, in an early version of 1984, wrote a foreword in which he anticipated that we would all be driven towards some sort of a pharmacologically managed stupor in a totalitarian world. 
and he believed the only way out was to build decentralized structures. That's the better future coming. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, I've been talking too much already. Uh, Do you want to go? Do you want to take a break? I towards, understand. Moving towards a future where we build intentional communities. Uh, probably it's not um, foreign to your audience. Gulch, Gulch, and Atlas Shrugged. Mm-hmm. The idea of building intentional communities, including religious communities, is the way out of this, and then networking those communities. And we have a set of documents that captures a way for humans to govern themselves in a decentralized way with a limited federal state. And that's the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And there's been a concerted effort to demean those and and, uh, make a case that they're obsolete. But human behavior has not changed. And I argue that those documents are the ones still that provide us a way forward. So I'll I'll, uh, sign off on that, okay? Thank you, sir. I really appreciate you being on the show. Wow. There we go. So let me get the book out for people. In fact, I... uh, All right. Goodbye, Dr. Malone. Uh, take care of that voice. <laughs> so I got a friend of mine on the line, uh, actually a friend of mine from high school, uh, Jonathan. And I'm sorry, I didn't recognize your phone number. Uh, we don't have our call screener yet. And so it's a little tough for me to uh, call screen in the middle of this. So I don't generally take calls I don't recognize. Um, Jonathan, welcome to Action Radio. Uh, what was your question? We'll hey, how you doing? With it here. See if we can deal with it here. Um, but uh, yeah, go for it. I'm just going to sit here and go, whoa, boy. <laughs> because I get, I, well, you know, it, I, I think, it was, go ahead. It was a, it was a very interesting hearing the entire discussion, but and you brought up the whole emergency youth authorization thing, yep. and the language in the law is very simple. It's 21 U.S. Code Section 360 BBB-3, and yep. it states that it is illegal for the secretary to issue an EUA unless the secretary has determined um, mm-hmm. that. There is nothing available that can treat, diagnose, uh, that can diagnose, treat, or ameliorate um, the the thing that they're worried about in this case, COVID. Mm-hmm. And of course, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of studies, controlled trials, um, uh, real world cases uh, all over the world on on a large scale, proving that both ivermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine and many other things, quercetin and a lot of things were available. And as Dr. Malone pointed out, highly effective in treating um, COVID. So it's, it's, you know, it's like two sentence law. It's crystal clear that the secretary of health and human services violated it. So the question is why aren't there leagues of lawyers going after this person to put him in jail. I don't know. I can't remember if it was Becerra or if it was the new one who was the secretary at the time. But the law says that the secretary must have determined that there were no treatments, period. 
Exactly. No, that's the big lie. That's that's one of the many lies about this. And uh, first of all, um, I'm going to get the book out again for folks that, that are listening in the podcast. We actually have a, uh, someone that typed in from the Netherlands. So uh, I don't know if they're still there or not. But, uh, you know, we're, our reach is growing here at Action Radio, which is great. But uh, his book, let me just let my scroll up here, my notes here, Lies My Government Told Me and the Better Future Coming. And it's put out by Children's Health Defense, uh, and it's on Amazon. And apparently there's free downloads this this weekend or for a limited time on Kindle. So, uh, so money's not an excuse if you want to get it. So I just want to get that in there. I'll probably mention it a couple more times. But the big lie, and I talked about this with Dr. Malone earlier, is that uh, they took the legal and made it illegal so they could make the illegal legal. So in other words, the legal was hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin D3, vitamin C, azithromycin, the Zelenko protocol, the different things, monoclonal antibodies, things that people were trying, ozone treatment, oxygen treatment, things like that. Uh, and Sally can probably speak to this too. Sally's an attorney and wrote a book on this uh, with one of our doctors here, Deb Biglione. But they, they had to make the legal illegal banning it, demonizing it, saying it, it, it wasn't, you, know, you couldn't use it, it wasn't approved, it wasn't the protocol, so they could make the, the illegal legal. In other words, these experimental jabs, the COVID shots, you know, the gene therapy, the messenger RNA things. Um, and so this is what they did. They could not have gotten it otherwise. So the goal was always the vaccine, which is not a vaccine. The well, goal was well, always well, yes, the control. But, but my, was, go ahead. Yes. Mm-hmm. But my point is that here's the law. It's one very simple sentence. The secretary has to have determined, this is uh, mm-hmm. a it's paragraph three, that there is no adequate, approved, mm-hmm. and available alternative to the product, meaning the thing they're trying to get the EUA for, mm-hmm. for diagnosing, preventing, or treating such disease or condition. No, none, right. zip. So there can't be anything, anything that's adequate, approved, or available. Now, we know mm-hmm. and there was. that, <laughs> and there was. that, that <laughs> they were yeah. both approved and available, and they were act not only adequate but far superior based on all the testing that existed at the time this decision was made they're far superior so this seems like a slam dunk case to put the secretary of health and and human services in jail for the rest of his life yeah well who's going to prosecute it you got a you got government lawyers and i'm bringing sally to this but here's the thing but think about this no member of congress brought that up they didn't stand tall and say that uh, these folks are breaking the law. There were no congressional hearings, you know, during the entire COVID thing. And this is when we had uh, Trump in office and we had, uh, I think at least uh, the Senate was still Republican, you know, so they didn't do anything, you know, and if you go before the government, you've got government lawyers who are going to represent the government, you know, and, and the defense attorneys are going to have to have the unlimited funds to bring the case. Let me, let me bring, let's bring Sally into this conversation. How would you bring a case? I mean, uh, uh, you know, you're fighting the government on something that the government wants to do and they're doing it illegally despite their own laws. Sally? Right. Yeah. And again, keep in mind that uh, I haven't been in active practice for a long time, so uh, I'm not as up to speed on some of these things as people like Jeff Childers and others would be. Uh, Mm -hmm. Although I I do hope to go to that uh, COVID litigation conference a month from now in Atlanta. Take our bills. (laughs) Take our bills with you. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Because they're going to be discussing all kinds of issues. Everything related to COVID, um, now I don't know that that's one of them, but they, the list of different kinds of issues that they're going to be discussing strategies about, uh, it, it, you know, it's got a pretty comprehensive list. But I think part of the problem has been, like early on especially, uh, you know, is finding lawyers who are willing to take this on, you know, because, you know, earlier on, it was uh, very unpopular <laughs> to try to, you know, fight this. And just like you didn't have as many 
medical people speaking out against mm-hmm. the, the vaccines or even in 2020 talking about how the whole, you know, pandemic thing was a, a scam. Uh, they, they just weren't doing it, but gradually over time, more and more people are getting on board. So now you've got a lot more attorneys and, and it's just, where do, where do you start um, in, in, in trying to make an impact? Uh, and, you know, it could be that there were just so many issues that, you know, maybe none of the lawyers really thought about. Oh, we're into uh, spies and the CIA and DARPA. And this is getting really, really deep, you know, Department of Defense. And, you know, and I had a lot of questions for him. In fact, I had one question. I don't know if I asked enough as I I showed one of the folks that one of our local media was asking about the studies. And I think the studies were all rigged. I think the, the studies really weren't. You know, that, the, that they, they'd already predetermined they wanted to bring this out. You know, so there's a bunch of questions oh, yeah. they didn't get to ask. Like, when did they really start this? And, uh, you know, which came first, the vaccine or the virus? I think the vaccine came first. I just showed on that a couple of years ago, you know, trying to, mm-hmm. to make the case that this was already, they, they had the vaccine first, so they designed the virus around the vaccine, not the other way around. You know, and that this yeah. is all about control. And it's still the vaccine still might have been a sideline. But the real issue that what, uh, what uh, Dr. Malone was talking about is control that the COVID virus is nowhere near as yep. severe as everybody thought. So it was perception, but that was part of the thing. They didn't want to kill millions of people with the virus. They wanted to control millions of people with the fear of the virus, which is a totally different issue. You know, the fact that it came mm-hmm. from the World Economic Forum. Well, what, what's the World Economic Forum doing with the public health issue? There's a fundamental contradiction. Yeah. They're, they're in the wrong ballpark. <laughs> you know, so all these contradictions right. keep coming up. You know, and Moderna was created in 2010 basically to make – you know, messenger RNA vaccines. So I think because it takes 10 to 15 years to make a vaccine, I think they started this back in 2010. That's my contention. Yeah. Now, again, Dr. Malone doesn't want to go into intent. I do <laughs> because I'm always looking right. at the, the, the people behind the scenes. So, so he can't, but we can. But now, see, he, what I found fascinating, he didn't know about the 2007 pandemic severity guidelines, and yet he was operating with Ebola and anthrax under those same guidelines, even though they're written for flu. They were still the, the current pandemic guidelines as of 2007, and yet they changed mm-hmm. them in, the, in exactly the way that they needed to change them so they could go to lockdowns immediately. They didn't have to wait for 1.8 million people to die before they did all the things they did. I think that's why they changed the guidelines. Now, why would you do that in 2017 unless you knew two years later or whenever that you're going to need a new set of guidelines to impose all these mandates? That's the question. Yeah, and, and they do seem to have a history of changing guidelines, changing definitions as needed, to promote their cause. Herd immunity. Yeah. 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 Um, but one thing I thought that was really fascinating you know, toward the end of uh, the interview with him was mm-hmm. when he was talking about the, the different layers of, of liability protection and, like, for example, in the contracts, how they have with the different countries, they have the provision that, uh, you know, the governments are, of the various countries are not allowed to um, uh, yeah, I didn't investigate, know that. you know, the content. I had heard so that why, before. Uh, that, why you would know, you take a product that you couldn't analyze? You know, why, why would any government take it, unless it was part of the propaganda, unless it was part of money? In other words, they were paid to do it by the, the, the World Bank or something like that. Why would, you, why would any country, except Thailand apparently, this is the exception, take a product where they can't look at what it is? Sally? Yeah. Well, um, again, we get into the the issues like were they were they bribed? Were they pay a lot of money to, to do this and to, mm-hmm. to not question it? 
were they threatened and intimidated? Uh, mm-hmm. Something worse was going to happen to them if they didn't go along with this program and sign these contracts? Yeah, you know, we don't know. Uh, but it 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 does sound like you know there's something fishy going on uh, that the um, that such a provision would even be in these kinds of contracts. Like yeah. why, you know? And again, all these why questions that goes to the issue of the big picture and the the bigger agenda, you know, yeah. behind everything. That yeah. Let me get back to. Uh, yep. Yeah, I got a question for Jonathan, who's, uh, you know, got a real scientific mind. Private labs, you know, the first thing I would do if I was a country, or the first thing we should do here, you know, what, a spectral analysis or whatever they do to to isolate chemicals within a, a, a sample? I mean, that's what parents did. There's a famous article in, in Town Hall about parents took the masks from their kids after eight hours, sent them to a private lab for testing, and they found all kinds of bacteria and germs and pneumonia and all this other crap that had grown on their Petri dish in front of their face. Uh, and that, that should have banned masks right there because they turned to be far more dangerous than uh, they, they were, quote, effective. But why couldn't a private lab take, take any COVID, you know, vessel, vial, whatever those things are called, and just do a chemical analysis of it and find out what's in there? Jonathan? It, it, it has been done by, by okay. several scientists, and they, they find okay. out all kinds of toxic things in there, heavy metals. They've, they've found lots of contamination. They've found lots of batch-to-batch inconsistency. But let me get back to, yeah, I mean, it's very, the quality control is terrible. But let me get back mm-hmm. for a moment to what I was saying. You know, sure. the analyzing intent and so forth, we could do that till the cows come home. And it's hard to know, right? You, you can't right. know unless you find some smoking gun somewhere, right? For sure, right? We can guess pretty well. But, but this law is a very simple, simple law, okay? Mm-hmm. The one I quoted. I'll read it to you again. That there is no, no we, adequate, comma, approved, and available alternative. Now, yeah. you got approved and available. There's no dispute, right? Hydroxy right. and, and, and uh, ivermectin were approved and widely available. Okay, so the only possible out that the secretary has is to claim that it was not, quote unquote, adequate. All right. But if you look at the hundreds and hundreds of studies, which I've seen and read Mm -hmm. that were available at the time to the secretary, Mm -hmm. it's it's not just obvious. It's beyond obvious. It's like they, they basically eradicated COVID entirely in a state of India the size of the United States of America with about 250 million people. I they completely this, yeah. eradicated COVID with nothing other than ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, then, and, there's, and there are all kinds of – there are controlled trials. There are other studies. There are hundreds of studies – and if you're a lawyer and you can't make a case out of that saying, wait a minute, this is not only adequate, by far blows away any test or trial that was ever done on remdesivir or any other thing. You got to understand, just because something is, a, is an RCT, just because it's a randomized control trial doesn't mean it's good. Mm-hmm. Fauci, um, he, he, if you've read uh, um, Kennedy's book, you can see all of the studies and controlled trials that he in essence falsified by changing the conditions after the start, by not allowing certain things to be considered just because it's a randomized controlled trial doesn't mean it's a good study. There are lots of other studies. And when you, when you look at things mathematically and statistically, you have to look at everything. And 
yeah, there's there are mountains and mountains of mathematical, undisputed and indeed indisputable evidence that ivermectin and hydroxy are not only adequate, they're beyond highly effective. I mean, it's like one of the most well, you effective just, treatments you of any disease in the history of disease. You could do a Put simple study way. by the, so, the people that are alive versus the, person, the people that died under the, what we call the remdesivir ventilator death march. Just take a look at those right. who were successfully treated versus those who died in the hospital. I mean, it's plainly obvious right. what works and what doesn't. Oh, and it was known that remdesivir would kill them. It had already been studied. It, remdesivir had been run in trials that were terminated because it was killing too many people. And yet Fauci then pushed it through and, and, and falsified the studies in essence. Well, let's talk about government um, but, medicine. Uh, all right, go ahead, Jonathan. Then I got a question for everybody. But so my point is, this law is very simple. We know it was approved and available. Mm-hmm. So the only leg that that is at all squishy is the word adequate. So the only argument that he could, that the secretary could possibly have is they said, well, that those were not considered quote unquote adequate. All right. So if you're going to say, well, what was adequate, then you'd you'd have to go in and now look at the studies and compare it to the studies on remdesivir and the studies on Paxlovid and the studies on all these other things that they pushed through because they were high dollar things from big pharma. Um, And it's painfully obvious to anybody who actually looks at the data that they were not only adequate, they were infinitely superior. So, and that should immediately put the person in jail because he instituted a program. Yeah, he instituted a program which purposely and knowingly damage the health of hundreds of millions of people, if not billions of people around the world. Yeah, we call that a crime against humanity and a genocide. That's the, let's, let's talk about what yes. it is. Um, Pianchi, do you have a exactly. point you want to make? You've been kind of hanging there for a little bit. And uh, yeah, sorry, I cut you off there, Jonathan. Uh, and then I want to get Sally okay. on, on the actual law stuff. Pianchi, do you have a question at all or a comment here? No, I'm just listening. Very interesting points just being delivered. Okay. Yeah, I, I, this has been a very spontaneous day. I didn't expect Sally to call in. Uh, I knew I didn't expect Robert Malone to be able to stay almost a full hour. Uh, I didn't expect Jonathan to call in. You know, it's, this has been a great day. I love spontaneity. Um, Sally, let's let's get to the legal point. The government can give itself permission to violate its own laws, and you can't do anything about it because the government will say they didn't violate their own laws, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, this gets into a the whole ball of wax where you've got this issue of control, people having um, they want. And so if you've got a predetermined outcome, you can find a lot of different ways to justify that, uh, even though they may not hold water. But, you know, if you're controlling the media and the other and, and the, and the, you know, the uh, major media, uh, you know, you've got a, a big platform and a big megaphone and, you know, it's really hard to to break through that uh, because so many people still believe what they hear, you know, on CNN. Although, thank goodness, the independent media is making a big, you know, a, some big breakthroughs in in educating people and and weaning them off of the uh, the controlled media. Uh, but yeah, I think. Uh, there's a combination of factors that are coming into play right now that are um, helping to um, bring this to a, a new stage of awareness and and fighting back and being able to 
really bring a stop to this. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of different people from a lot of different fields taking different approaches. And we'll see what comes out of this attorney's uh, COVID litigation conference next month uh, and uh, what they do. Because I think more attorneys are getting on board now as they, as they see other attorneys, you know, taking actions and being, having some success. And uh, but when it comes to the the criminal side and prosecuting uh, people for you know different things related to uh, COVID, that's another thing because again, who is controlling the prosecutors? Uh, you know, they're 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 in a different position than the other attorneys in private practice who would be um, you know seeking to uh, you know bring you know, the cases are, or have some justice done. And uh, so without, and then the, the sheriffs and the other law enforcement and, and so forth, if, if there's um, intimidation against those, mm-hmm. if anyone tries to bring criminal charges against, you know, whether it's the hospitals or doctors or whoever, uh, you're going to run into a lot of resistance. So, you know that needs to be broken down, but well, uh, yeah. this this is why I started Action Radio, and I, never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined that when I wanted to put together a citizen legislature with a radio show and take comments and calls from around the country and actually write bills on the air and then have people share the the links to those bills with uh, Congress, media, pollsters, uh, local government, state legislators, things like that, that we'd be in the midst of a of a tyrannical takeover, not only of our federal government illegally. But everybody's, you know, heart, mind, and soul with a pandemic using a mass psychosis to uh, try and get everybody to take a jab into their arm, which uh, is neither safe nor effective. In fact, just the opposite. However, here we are. <laughs> so, so now we have here a we system. Are. Here we are. So we have a system where the legislation has been written. It's very simple and straightforward. You know, so a bunch of folks have endorsed it. Uh, if I can get uh, connect, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll probably, you know, I'll text Dr. Malone sometime, you know, when he's hopefully not too busy and say, hey, here are the bills. You know, whatever you want to do with him, you know, I don't ask much of him of these, these, you know, people that are working as hard as he's working. Just share the bills public. Say there's citizen legislation that would put full product liability on vaccine makers and that would eliminate big tech censorship. If that's all he says, and then write your laws.com, you know, that's enough. I don't need, you know, I, but what I need is millions of other people to go, oh, well, that's interesting. That's, I can do that to copy the link and send it in. So we've made it as easy as possible for the most number of people to be able to be advocates. It doesn't cost them anything. They've already got the internet, already got the computer, okay? They've already got email. They already got that. They don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to meet. They don't have to take a whole lot of time. It's so simple and straightforward um, that uh, and those that want to rise up to the level of actually writing citizen legislation, I'm here. I'll work with you on the show. You know, we'll do it in, in private. We'll, we'll do uh, comments, you know, emails back and forth, suggestions. But I'd rather have comments in public so people can see how the process works, how we actually draft legislation, how, how these things come about. And I'm still changing some of them. I, I modify bills a year or two years later. But both of those bills, big tech and um, vaccine product liability, I wrote those in 2021. So these are two years old. Mm-hmm. This is how long this has been yeah. a process where we could have had solutions to this problem two years ago. But nobody in Congress wanted to pick it up. And, and Dr. Malone talked about uh, you, you have to get him to Senator Johnson. I wish I could. <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many times and how many people I've asked to, to send it to him. And he's the only one. He's the only one that's ever even held hearings. Where's the House now mm-hmm. that they're under the, the, the GOP or as we call them, the gelding old party? Yeah. Where are they? 
Yeah. Well, if you give me, um, tell me what you'd like me to take. I go to this conference next month in Atlanta, and mm-hmm. I'll do my best to see who I can get it in the hands of, who, because uh, I know some of those people there yeah. should be able to get it to Senator Johnson. Um, but um, well, here's yeah, the easiest way. We'll see. I've got I've got to run because I have an appointment. But um, okay, it's always good to talk to you, and we'll be in touch before that conference. Okay. I'll, I'll give Thank you a plan you. of action. I'll text you a plan of action. Thank you, Sally. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye now. So just to let folks know, Sally Saxon wrote a book with Deborah Viglione and James Thorpe, both of whom are doctors who are pretty regular visitors on the show here, called COVID-19, Vaccines and Beyond, What the Medical Industrial Complex is Not Telling Us. And so that's a fabulous book. Uh, actually, Deb was on yesterday. No, it was on uh, two days ago with um, Jeff Childers, who's the attorney who's done some wonderful work too. And once again, Dr. Malone's book, Lies My Government Told Me and The Better Future Coming uh, from Children's Health Defense. And that's out now. And I guess there's, there's free downloads on Kindle for this and two other books that you mentioned. And so that's in the podcast in the second hour. So we got, uh, so Sally had to leave. We've got Pianchi here and Jonathan and I'm open. Uh, gentlemen, <laughs> questions, comments. <laughs> we got about 40 minutes left. I'll, I'll play my ads at the end, but uh, now that I got you, John, it's good to have you on the show. This is great. Tell all your yeah, friends. Tell all our here. friends. I can't, our, I can't our stay too much longer, but well, that's fine. Yeah. yeah well, then yeah. you go ahead. Yeah. You go ahead. Tell me what, yeah, tell no, what's no, on your mind. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a great show and it was great to have Robert Malone and you know, you had, you had him in a much more um, unguarded mode than when you hear him on a lot of big media. Because he's, I think he's much more careful about what he says. So it was, it was good to hear him talking that. very. You know, uh, he didn't do intent, but I said that's my job. He's like, yeah, it is. You're a commentator, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody can really do. We can guess at intent, but you can't say mm-hmm. for sure. You know, but but you can come to reasonable inferences, just like a jury would, right? And that's mm, our job, yeah. right? We're the jury. Yeah. Right? You know? Well, when they make the laws illegal, um, you know, that are legal, and when they make the products illegal that are legal. And when they, they force something on you that they have to mandate, you know, I, I see a problem uh, when, when guidelines are changed. Absolutely. Yeah. When guidelines are changed to the lockdown, he didn't know. I'm surprised he didn't know that actually. But when the guidelines, apparently I'm the only one that's brought this up, but they changed the guidelines in 2017 to allow lockdowns immediately, regardless of if anybody had died from the, the pandemic or not. You know, that to me is an indication. Oh, they, they changed lots of guidelines and they change definitions, which is always their strategy. When a definition doesn't work for them, they simply flip mm-hmm. it to mean the opposite. Um, and so that's what they did, for example, with vaccines. They redefined the word vaccine to mean something essentially the opposite of what it has always mean. Do you remember um, the old and new and definition? Do you have that? I mean, that'd be great to go over. The old I'm, definition I'm... was that it, that it creates immunity and prevents you from getting a disease. And right. now it's, no, it doesn't prevent you from getting anything. That's not what a vaccine is. Oh, we never said that. Yes, you did. You said that forever <laughs> since the beginning of time. You know, okay. I mean, they're just they're blatant liars. And, yeah. you know, another another paragraph from the law about emergency authorizations says that if you do approve it. So in other words, you had to have decided that there was no other, quote unquote, adequate thing for treating it. Right. Uh-huh. But you also had to. The secretary has to find um, has to do the following. It, it has to make sure that every single doctor and provider mm-hmm. who is administering the EUA drug, you know, the 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 bioweapon, they call it a vaccine. It's not. A oh, vaccine. We talked about that, too. Um, yeah, you, you missed that part. Right. Yeah. Right. And every person who administered every doctor, every nurse, every organization 
who administers it must be informed of, quote, and this is from the law, the alternatives to the product that are available and of their benefits and risks. So in other Mm -hmm. words, when you walked in to get your shot at CVS or from your doctor's office, they were required by law and they, none of them did this. Mm -hmm. Um, They should have been informed and they should have informed you of the benefits of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. They didn't, none of them did. Did you did you hear when Dr. Malone said that the vaccine was never necessary, that we already had the early treatments? Because that's been my contention all along. But it's nice to hear him say it. Wasn't it wasn't necessary got... at all. It was not yeah. necessary at all, even vaguely. And, that, and not only did they claim it was necessary, they mm-hmm. violated the law in about 17 different places in obvious mm-hmm. ways, like this one where they are required. It says right here, with respect to emergency use of an unapproved product, the secretary to the extent practical, given the applicable circumstances, shall, for a person who carries out any activity for which the authorization is used, establish such conditions, blah, 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 um, including the following. Appropriate conditions designed to ensure that healthcare professionals, that includes your doctor, the nurses, the stores, Mm -hmm. administering the product are informed, one, two, paragraph three, of the alternatives to the product that are available and of their benefits and risks. So in other words, they were required to inform every nurse, every doctor, every store, every company of ivermectin and hydroxy and inform them of their benefits and risks. Now, did they do that? No, they did the exact opposite. They lied in TV ads and they said, this is, this is dangerous and it's for horses, none of which was true. And they never well, mentioned some the benefit. Ivermectin with horse additives is for horses, but you know, a lot of, cause we're all mammals. I mean, there, there are drugs that, that uh, you know, that, that livestock can take that we can take, but they change the form, they change additives, they change all kinds of things. There's the, there's the per- people version actually, and there's the horse even, version. Actually that even that's not quite accurate. There's no oh, okay. difference. Ivermectin is Ivermectin is Ivermectin. The only difference is when they give it to horses, they give it in larger doses. So the well, pills are bigger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, because the dosage is related to the weight, you know, of the person. That's true for people, too, by the way. The dosage yeah. is related but, uh, to your weight, as it is with so many drugs. But I was saying the horse version might have additional additives to it beyond just the ivermectin. Ivermectin is the same. Ivermectin doesn't change. But any other things that, that might uh, be along with it might change, it's like additives and gasoline. Gasoline doesn't change. Right, but that's not what the FDA ad said. The FDA ads... Right which were complete 100% lies, said that ivermectin is a horse drug. That's a total lie. Yep. Drugs aren't, yep. aren't you know, specific to mm-hmm. the animal, okay? They're drugs. A drug is a drug is a drug. Now, ivermectin is used in horses. It's used in humans. In fact, it's used far more, you know, a factor of a million times more mm-hmm. in humans than it is in horses. Um, yeah. But they chose to lie and claim that this was a drug that's only used for horses, which was a lie, complete lie. And they never informed either the public nor the health providers of the benefits, which they're required to do so by this law. So, again, you know, but I think what Sally was saying is the crux of it. The the problem with the law is the law doesn't happen until somebody goes to court and people don't go to court until a lawyer decides to go to court. And if lawyers are going to be wimps, we can't get anything done. 
So that's well, the problem. Yeah, the lawyers were all silenced. Laws. Yeah, but we need to get the laws that they can use to. That's one thing Jeff Childers has said over and over. Let me give you a couple of little, little snippets from my, my vaccine liability law. And this is what you talked about, 42 U.S. Code, Section 300-AA-22-Standards of Responsibility, uh, B1. <laughs> the new law, our, our proposed law says vaccine manufacturers shall be fully liable in any civil action for damages arising from a vaccine or vaccine-related side effect reaction, da 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 The old law was it yep. says shall not be liable. The next one, section two. Yep. For the purposes of paragraph one, a vaccine shall be accompanied by proper directions and warnings. So the law says now it shall be presumed to be accompanied. Well, of course, that doesn't mean anything. So this is it shall be right. accompanied, and there's a permission slip that goes along with it. Direct warnings, section C. Vaccine manufacturers shall be fully liable in a civil action for damages arising from et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they have to have warnings. Preemption. This, there's two preemption clauses here. Uh, this, that no federal agency, department, or court may establish or enforce any law, regulation, declaration, yada, 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 that makes it more difficult to file a lawsuit. So I got preemption in there as well. It's a pretty comprehensive bill, but it's only one page. It's very straightforward. And our, and our big tech bill is exactly yeah. the same way. You know, it says that uh, big tech is immune from liability for what the users, that's us, we do with social media and with search engines. They have nothing to do with that. It's just like the phone company is not liable for what you say over your phone. However, if, because we basically get rid of Section 230, which gives them permission to remove anything they find, quote, otherwise objectionable. But what it says is if they touch your account, if they touch your messages, if they touch your posting, if they touch anything you do on social media or your account anyway, or if they arrange the search engines beyond the raw number of hits, they lose their immunity. And so it's a very simple thing that immune, liability, I think, is the key to all this. And I never, I never really realized it until I started writing these bills and getting involved in the process. But if you hold them liable, the one thing that companies fear more than anything else is liability because it's an unlimited drain of their, of their financial resources for their ill-gotten gains. And if they're not liable, they don't have to worry about it. But if they are liable, they can you know, look at big tobacco. Big tobacco is kind of like the model. I want to study some of the cases in big tobacco and see if those will apply to uh, big pharma. But that's where I'm going with those two bills. So if you want to support them, send them to everybody, you know, uh, where, where you can get political, feel free. I mean, I can certainly use the support. As this grows, this show is going to grow. Well, the idea of citizens being able to, to, to send bills, send laws directly to legislators and say, hey, I want this bill. You know, when they say, well, we're doing the best we can. And so the citizen can say, no, you're not. Here's a bill. It's already done for you. Here, just, just, you know, pass this. <laughs> that's where I want to get to. Jonathan. So where do we find the links for the bills? Oh, good. Let me tell you once again, which I try to do every show, writeyourlaws.com, yep. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. The bills that we're talking about, if you go to legislation, which is the second item on the menu bar, click that. Go down three, all proposed laws, click that. You will find the Big Pharma bill. You will find the Big Tech bill. You will find an Australian bill of individual rights. You'll have something that, that uh, Robert Malone mentioned at the very last second, talking about the debt and the, and the spending and everything else. We have a constitutional amendment that takes away the power of government to borrow money. That would get rid of a whole lot of civil unrest and problems, and, and it would basically uh, get rid of inflation permanently. So we got the solutions. We just need millions of people to share them. Jonathan. Great. Yeah. Isn't this fun? That's super. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It all started on a bike ride. I had an idea for uh, turning talk radio into action radio, and all this has kind of evolved from that as, uh, as my imagination has gone kind of crazy. Do you have any questions for me about, about what we do here? I mean, I know you have to go in a couple of minutes or whatever, but, uh, yeah, that's your chance. No, no I'm good. Too. I'm good. It was, it, it was okay. great listening, and it, it was great learning from all your guests. Well, thank you. That's what we do here. It's really spontaneous. Again, I had no idea – Dr. Malone could stay as long as he did, and then all you folks were going to call in. And it's been – this is one – this is a, just a fabulous show. Fridays are usually pretty casual. 
you know, Pianchi and I go over the issues. We're going to do that next. But uh, this has been, been a whole lot better. All right. So podcast available, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action right there on our website, as all our shows are. And again, writeyourlaws.com is where you find um, the bills. And they're all explained in my new Substack column, gregpenglis.substack.com. I'm done. Great. Thank you <laughs> well, very much, Greg. It was, it was a blast. Talk to you again Call soon. Anytime. Yeah, I got your number now, so I, okay. you're in the system. So uh, I'll know who you are. Thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Super. Thank you. Yep. All right. Bye-bye. There we go. Bye now. Pianchi, do you want to you talk uh, issues, or, or should we uh, take a break for a couple minutes? I'll, I'll throw the option to you since uh, you've been patiently waiting here. Well, see, when somebody mentioned harsh medicine, uh-huh. a lack of critical thinking will let them know. A lack, if you had critical thinking, you would be able to call it hogwash. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think, you know, and we've talked to, how many times have we talked about this, Pianchi? Where, you know, I, talk, I call it the logic and reason filter. You know, Sally called it the, the Solomon wisdom filter. You call it common sense. Where, where did we lose weight? that so many people have surrendered their judgment, you know, to so-called experts. When you, when parents totally and exclusively dedicated their children to government schools, that's what happened. I think you're right. And you then, know, see, after you uh-huh. have one or two generations of that, parents mm-hmm. would not know the difference. No, I think that's a very valid point. I've always, uh, I've long said that the, the, you cannot have a free society and government education coexist. It's impossible. You will never have a free society if the government that wants to control people is educating your kids, especially in a country founded on individual freedom. They are incompatible with each other. Can't happen. But You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. And it's playing out. We see it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting, and I still get challenged. Not so much on the show anymore. You notice we don't have the liberal callers. But, um, and we are expanding our audience. We had a gentleman type in from, uh, see if he has any more, any more things here. So we have uh, uh, S-C-I-E-N-I-D-E-77. Uh, that's going to disappear, you know, once the, the chat goes away. But he's been, uh, he's, thank you, have a good weekend. Yeah, he's listening from the Netherlands. You know, he he uh, typed in. And so Europe is growing. I love our audience in Europe, especially um, in, in the U.K., and uh, we got Australia. Oh, we're still here? Okay, good. So um, we do have a Skype line, uh, Cyanide77, S-C-I-E-N. There we go. So, so check out our Skype line, and that'll allow you to call the show directly. So you have to get an account approved. Now they know, use that same code, so I know it's you. And then what you do is just, um, uh, then you can call us directly from the Netherlands. And apparently the time difference isn't too bad there. So it was 2.30 p.m. a while ago. Let me check. I've got, I've got Greenwich Mean Time. So we did this before. I think it's six hours ahead. So it's 9.30 in the morning here. So that would be 3.30 Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, so it's probably like 4.30. I'm guessing Netherlands time. Probably an hour, uh, an hour ahead of that. Could be wrong, though. We'll see. Um, anyway, so comments. I welcome comments. If you have a question, you know, uh, am I, <laughs> okay. All right. So yeah. So if you want to type in a question, you can always do that, too. That's the whole purpose of live chat. So you don't have to call the show, uh, but our international folks are more than welcome to type in a question. So if you have time for a question, we'll take it. Um, so feel free to, I'll be, I'll be watching live chat. So I think live chat is going to develop more. That's going to be a huge help to us as well, Pianchi. All right. Um, any issue, uh, you want to get back to train talk? <laughs> you know, the, the, the EPA that uh, burned the chemicals or anything else uh, on your mind, we, we can kind of go, and then I'll just play all my other stuff at the end. We have about 25 minutes left. Well, that was a travesty. That was yeah. a travesty, Gurnick, uh, We've talked about it and put the logic into it, the scientific reasoning, and 
it was just a travesty that uh, today in 2023, mm-hmm. uh, people continue to bamboozle. Why didn't they have a plan of action? You know, why wasn't it's like everybody's always improvising. It's like they, they spend all this time establishing plans, but when they actually need the plan, they never use it. That, that, that makes no sense. Well, no outside regulatory agency should impose regulation on an industry that has existed for a century without conferring with the experts in the see the industry didn't exist for that long if they had not been doing something right. Because if they hadn't been doing something right, what would be wrong would cause them to go out of existence would have occurred early on in their infancy. So apparently these regulatory agencies did not confer with the very people, entities that they're trying to regulate. Yeah. I'm seeing a quick message here. Let me uh, get that up there as well. Okay. Um this is crazy. This is this is uh, you know insane. I asked the question. See, we had the too. same problem. Go ahead. We had the same problem in the steel erection when they brought about OSHA. OSHA people in OSHA don't know what the heck they're looking at. Never done it themselves for any length of time. So the industry met with them and said, "Let me tell you what you could do, not what you should do," because even today they have regulations from different agencies that really overlap and sometimes bump heads with each other. Mm-hmm. You have OSHA and you have the Corps Engineers. OSHA have their regulations, which I guess now is under FEMA. Then you got the mm-hmm. Corps Engineers that's got their regulations. And either one, in many cases, does not comply with industry standards. Standard industry practice took a long time to get to the position or where it is. You know, and industries, people think that all corporations are corrupt and greedy and profit and stuff. And, and corporations do have abuses. We know that. And that's what the legal system is for. But for the most part, it's not in their interest to do things that are incredibly unprofitable. It's not in their interest, you know, to violate safety, especially when they're liable. It's not in their interest to, to do all the things that people are talking about exploiting. It, it is in their interest to be on time, to deliver the service as intended, as advertised, you know, that's just good business. You know, and I think people forget that, that, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to Norfolk Southern, the, the railway company, I'd like to know, you know, what went right, what went wrong. It's like when, when Sally was talking earlier and she mentioned that uh, Idaho wants to make vaccines illegal or, or the COVID vaccine illegal because they're having deaths with it. I'm like, no, that's just as bad as, as mandating it. You know, you've got you to follow the logic. You've got to do things that make sense. You have to test it and, and then give people the option. That's freedom is so important. That's why I brought up the, the whole idea of freedom versus tyranny with Dr. Malone. I've got to go back and listen to that. That was such a jam-packed interview. You know, and I'm trying to think of questions as he's talking. So a lot of times, you know, you sort of have to listen and follow up uh, and then uh, come up with other stuff. So it's, I'm busy during those interviews. I'm just glad we had the extra time. But, uh, yeah, yeah, corporations don't well, always do the wrong right thing. Now. What's that? It's very simple. Absent of man intentions, it was an accident. It was an accident. Accidents do happen. No matter how well planned the efforts that you put into, accidents do happen. Yeah. But we're focusing on the response. It's like COVID. It's not the virus because most people weren't affected by it. Over 99% of the people were not seriously affected by COVID. We, we had moderate well, systems. With Remember the had, road, but the, but with the, the railroad, the, the accident policy. had to occur before the response. 
Well, I know that, but let's let's talk about the action. I'm learning more about it. Uh, in fact, let me pull up Facebook here. This is going to be interesting. That, uh, as I understand it, the um, their, their train was slowing down. Uh, they had a they had a heat warning that one of their axles was was too hot. There was a problem with it, um, and uh, they were you know they were in the process of of taking care of that. And then this accident, there was a derailment because I guess the axles got too hot, and something happened and they jumped the tracks. But that's not what worries me. What worries me is, the, well, it does, obviously, the chemical spill. But what worries me is the fact that the government burned up the, the product. In fact, why don't you call it product? So well, they burned the product. You know, and this is in the hearings. Doug Mastriano had some hearings yesterday. Let me see if I can find my Facebook post. I'm, I'm, I'm mouse clicking well, and talking liable. at the same time. Well, this, this, the railroad see, that's the shouldn't be liable. The government should be liable. The response yeah. was flawed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm focusing on. That's exactly my point, is that, is that the, the accidents do happen, but the response, at that point, the response shouldn't be an accident. So here's what, I, here's what uh, someone, uh, this is from uh, Steve Bessie WFMJ, so I guess it's radio station. It's public, so I can, I can quote it. East Palestine update. This is NTSB findings. Hot bearing detector recorded a wheel bearing at 253 degrees above ambient tension, temperature before derailment. Anything over 200 degrees is considered critical. The train passed three of these detectors on its way from Illinois. The first recorded that it's bearing at 38 degrees above ambient. The second reading was 103 degrees above. It's going to be interesting to see what the government does to Norfolk Southern. So it looks like they had a warning that this bearing was heating up for, from Illinois to Ohio. They knew they had a problem. And once it got over the 200 degree critical, that's when they took action. You know, should they have taken action before critical? That's a valid question. But this is a problem. And this is not a, uh, I don't know if it's the, the regulation that uh, Buttigieg is trying to say that Trump's at fault because he didn't pass a regulation. I don't even know if that regulation applies to the situation yet. I haven't even investigated that. But what about this heated bearing? You know, w- when you're in an airplane, well, you know, do you, do you wait for the cylinder head temperatures to go way into the red before you deal with the temperature of the engine? No, because your engine's going to seize. Yeah, but regardless of that, it still didn't cause the chemical sp- uh, the beat spill. Right. Well, you look at the picture. Budovich uh-huh. is totally ridiculous, saying that the, the railroad is, should pay when it actually was the government that caused the hazardous material to become hazardous uh-huh. to an extent that it ended up being. See, the railroad couldn't have done what the government did. The railroad could not have arbitrarily taken all those chemicals and burned them. Because that would have violated every air pollution regulation, every hazmat regulation you can think of. So the only way it could have been done is by the one entity that can violate its own laws, the government. And yet they have this immunity. So we need to seriously look into government immunity in terms of things that we need to change. That's not the first time that uh, you have had spills of some sort Mm -hmm. from the rail grain. You have it with, with grain. Probably commonplace. If you're carrying a load of lumber, you're going to have it with, in that mm-hmm. particular instance. Mm-hmm. So the railroads know how to handle the problems. It was when the government came in and did what they did that caused the calamity. They should be responsible. This yeah, is your new Ukraine. Tend to it. Yeah, we need to look into this. God, we have so much work to do. Um, I saw pictures of, uh, of the rail of the accident last night, and those tanker cars looked like they were still intact. They're designed did, to be intact. Well, I know that, but that's my. But what my question is: did, Are there tanks that actually ruptured? Were there five tanks that were just pouring vinyl chloride out into the ground anyway? And then, of course, you have to contain it. 
then you dig up the soil. That's why they're at Superfund sites. They dig up the soil that's contaminated, and they put it in an incinerator. Uh, but they do it in a controlled situation so it doesn't go out in the open air. These are special chemical incinerators. You know, this is more like, a, like an Iraqi you know, burn pit. So, well, when the uh, chemical came in contact with the ground, you know, the, the, the ground itself has different uh, elements. It may yep. have rendered it neutral, whereas it wouldn't have caused that spontaneous well, what would do problem. That? Well, in other words, is there a chem- well? That's a good question. Is there a chemical agent that could have been sprayed on the vinyl chloride? I don't know, limestone. <laughs> Put that in mass graves. I just thought of that. Um, but is there an inert chemical or or some kind of chemical that they should have on scene, you know, along these rail tracks, maybe, um, to deal with chemical spills? You know, should the tanker cars be every third car, for example? So you have a tanker, then you have two other cars without chemicals, then you have another tanker car. I've seen strings of them together. Maybe that's a problem. You know, maybe the trains are too long because well, well, uh, they don't have drivers. You know, go ahead. I think it should have been left up to the railroad. The railroad is the experts. That's why they have a contract. That's why come mm-hmm. indemnity companies will work with them because they, uh, indemnity companies have their own uh, analysts and specialists. And yep. if they say that they're doing it the right way, mm-hmm. they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, railroads have been around for a while. They've got a lot of operating expertise, and they all have, you know, best practices. Everybody does. But I'm curious. <laughs> I'm going to go – I'm going to see if I can video a train um, going by because we have a track not too far from us here. And it carries tanker cars, you know. never No, no problems that I know of, you know, but I'll look at the schedule. I think it's CFX, CNX, one of those. It's like – it's an acronym. So I'll take a look and see what our trains are doing. But the cars, like I said, the cars look intact. The response was horrible. I watched some of uh, Doug Mastriano's hearing. Uh, he's a senator, a state senator from Pennsylvania, because apparently this is not that far from Pennsylvania line. And a lot of Pennsylvanians are being affected, too. And so this is, this is interstate. You know, this is, uh, where's, you know, where's the congressional hearing? <laughs> That's the next step. When are they going to get their, their butts in gear and do something about well, it? Well, there shouldn't be no congressional hearings. The, 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 first, the first conversation should have been done with the the first conversation should have been done with the railroad. Okay. If you get, if you're going to have, a, when you were getting ready to have your hard operation, did you call in your Congress people to get their opinion? Hmm. Call them just about everybody else. <laughs> I call in a lot of people. It's interesting that, uh, that Robert Malone was born at uh, Stanford med. Uh, Cause that's one of the places I called before I, I had heart surgery. I didn't want to go too much into the story because his time, you know, is really valuable. And he, I can't believe he stayed on the line to the point where he's losing his voice and he still has a full day of media to do. He's incredible. But um, one little footnote. So I remember that when I, when I mentioned the very first part of the show, we're, we're born like one day apart, you know, maybe just a few hours apart, which I think is hysterical. Uh, I'm always interested in folks that are born. You know who else is born at the same time? Three days later. So I'm born on the 19th uh, of, of October. Um, He's on the 20th, and Weird Al is on the 23rd. <laughs> so three of us are born with a four-day like That sounds yeah. like an oddity. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Well, I started to look up people born in October of 1959. I'm kind of curious. I don't mention my birthday often just because I don't, you know, don't want all the announcements and things. But anyway, um, but um, it's just interesting to find coincidences like that. So here's a guy that got all this incredible education. We're born within hours of each other, right? My path was <laughs> rather haphazard compared to his, which seems much more directed uh, and much more able to, uh, to do the things he wants to do. This guy's hyper-educated. And so it's really fascinating to have him on. But you, you look at people of your same age, especially when they're very close to your same age, you know, and it's, uh, it's very interesting to sort of see the parallels, you know, that, that we had uh, and, and similar attitudes towards things, too. 
So he would have been, you know, a young teenager when I was a young teenager, you know, uh, looking at, uh, like I say, one day apart, looking at Watergate, going, what the hell's going on here? You know, I came to it as a, as a, you know, as an Australian, basically, you know, a Canadian by citizenship, Australian by the last, you know, four formative years of my life, walking into a country where the president's, you know, almost on trial and there's a, there's a war going on 10,000 miles away. That was a weird thing. That was unusual to walk into that environment. And everybody else was like perfectly okay with it. So, okay. Well, all right. You know, they had a CFI, certified flight instructor, that was uh, working with a student. When the student landed and started talking to the flight instructor, he was dead. Yeah, let's talk about that. I thought it was two pilots. I didn't know it was a uh, – let me see if I get the BBC story here. Yeah, so, so let's – <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about that. Let me let me scroll down. I've got my my special investigations page up here. I've got uh, you know what else? You know who I want to contact actually um, is James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. You know, I've asked a friend to, who might know him, you know, to see if we can get in touch because I'd be really curious to see if he wants to start advocating uh, citizen legislation. All right, let me see if I find my B- where's my BBC story. A little further, oh, we got explosion in Cleveland Metals factory. We got uh, the Ashley Babbitt pictures. We got James O'Keefe's statement. Where did I put it? Oh, it must be international news. Let me, let me, I have a lot of Facebook groups, folks. So this is what takes me time. So and now we're going to go to the BBC. So the BBC World Broadcasting System. Here's the article, and it says, "Quickly punch it up here." Pilot thought co-pilot who died in cockpit was joking. And this is from February 21st of this year. So just a couple last week. A pilot continued to fly after his co-pilot suffered a cardiac arrest and died, believing he was playing a joke. The pilot believed his colleague was pretending to be asleep and only realized what had happened after landing. And this is from the safety report. The Air Accidents Investigation Branch, that's probably their NTSB, investigated the incident in Blackpool so lessons could be learned. It concluded current medical assessments were acceptable, but risks, quote, can never be reduced to zero. Current medical assessments, what's that? I mean, do the British pilots all have to get a jab before they fly privately? I don't know. Wouldn't that be horrible? (laughs) It says here the report found the pilot who died was flying with a qualified pilot who was able to land the aircraft safely, but said, quote, the outcome could have been different on a different flight. The 57-year-old who had passed a medical four months earlier had agreed to join the short journey aboard a Piper P828-161, basically a Cherokee, four-place fixed-gear airplane, uh, aircraft around Blackpool in June. A second pilot had been requested for safety reasons due to the windy weather conditions. The surviving pilot recalled how during the taxi, the pair were talking normally, and his colleague, who was also a flight instructor, so there were two flight instructors, okay, good, yeah, you're right, had remarks, looks good, there's nothing behind you, his head then rolled back, and the pilot, who knew the instructor well, thought he was pretending to take a nap. Oops. <laughs> As the plane turns, the instructor slumped over with his head, resting on the pilot's shoulder. The report said the pilot still thought the instructor was still joking uh, with him and continued to fly the approach. So they were going on the landing. He says he landed normally before he realized something was wrong and made a call for help. A review by the Civil Aviation Authority Medical Department concluded the instructor had died from an acute cardiac arrest. In other words, a COVID shot. I'll tell you right now, it's a COVID shot. I can speculate. <laughs> I'm, I'm a host here. It says the authority said it continually reviewed health guidance and that the, quote, rarity, unquote, of accidents caused by cardiac events in flight suggests the balance is currently about right. Okay, wait a minute. So this guy had a medical check four months previously? And they died? Had his annual. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, do, do they? What do they do in Britain? What, what do? What are? What are? Uh, flight instructors required oh, to do yeah, here? Man. Yeah. See, if you're an acting flight yeah, instructor, that's a commercial. Been. Yeah, that's a commercial license in the United States. So, third class medical every two years, first second class medical every year, first class medical every six months. So, instructors can get a second class medical once a year. So, if Britain is the same, then they would have had a yearly physical. So, four months previously would have made sense, but the jab can affect you very quickly. This is what they call it, died suddenly. You know, so uh, here's the question, and I, I've talked about this too. You know, should people with flight experience, that's you and me, report that to a cabin crew if we board an airliner, just in case? And wouldn't it be better they know and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, can you come up front for a second? Oh, yeah, what's the problem? <laughs> here's the problem. Oh, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll deal with this. You know, um, that's a good thing. For, I think the flight crew should know that. You know, are the, sk- are the skies safe? Now that they've mandated most well, people uh, uh, pilots get the jab, I don't think so. You got you got laws to protect the medical con- medical information of people uh-huh. nowadays. So okay, under normal circumstances, that wouldn't. Uh, what what plane was the plane can land itself? Which, which well, one see, now that's none of that too. So, so the flight crews, so the cabin crew, your basic cabin crew, you know, your flight attendants, they should be trained in basic. Radio procedures, the emergency frequency, the emergency squawk code, which I'm not going to give over the air, and they should be trained in how to set the autopilot for landing. That would not be yeah. uh, that would not be an unreasonable thing to do for the airlines as jab you know pilot died suddenly catastrophic events. Why wouldn't you teach your cabin crew how to do that? You know, you can make well, a long yeah, time. and with a commercial a commercial flight, that I, I, I would say they probably have. Some procedure already already in place. Uh-huh. It's just on the general aviation where it could be a problem. I've heard wives, husbands died and she took over. Of course, when she landed, she nose dipped, tore up her propeller, but at least she lived. Yeah, exactly. No, this has happened, especially because uh, the pilot, small plane pilots are generally men. That's that's still the the, the tradition. That's the norm. Um, and so wives, you know, girlfriends should definitely know something about flying. Now, I've trained you know, a fair amount of women how to fly. Uh, so women make great pilots. That's not the issue, but it's still mostly guys. And especially, it used to be more guys were more subject to heart attacks. That's not true anymore. I think it's about equal. Uh, isn't equality nice? <laughs> now we have equality of heart attacks. But the thing is, and, and this is what I have to consider too, as I get older and I still want to fly my jet, you know, I'm going to bring a young instructor with me just in case. You know, what, happened if, what if I'm still flying jets at 85? Because I still love flying jets at 85. And for the most part, I'm fine. But what if one day I'm not fine? You know, I'll probably drag some instructor and say, hey, you want to fly the jet with me? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, fine. Good. You know, here's the basics. But how long, well, how long do you think it would take? That just makes common sense to me to, to do that. I don't have to do that yet. <laughs> Thank God. But uh, someday that's going to happen. But let's, let's say, so if we were to design a course of, I, I should, we had Josh Yoder on. I bet he'd, he'd be interested in this. If we were to design a course for, for cabin crew, Basics, I'm thinking 20 hours, maybe 10 hours, 10 to 20 hours of instruction, basic radio procedure, basic autopilot procedure, basic flight maneuvering, basic throttle control, basic instrumentation. Uh, But the biggest one would be to the radio, transponder, and then um, autopilot. I would think they could, they could, if they could work those three things into an instruction course and at least one or two people in the, in the cabin crew would have that training, 
that'd be that make this guy a whole lot, especially cabin crew that has not gotten the jab. So in other words, new people. Hmm. What do you well, think? I think what it what would go down is that they know how to make the communication mm-hmm. and how to announce a mayday, and then mm-hmm. from there, some um, person who's familiar with that particular model mm-hmm. plane and the instrumentation mm-hmm. of it could probably direct them over the radio through communication on what to do. Yeah, but if you show them just basic radio stuff, so in other words, how to you know to put the headset on, check the connection, how to set the frequency, which this isn't that tough to do. You know, which button to push to key the mic. Yeah, and then what to say. You know, they can even carry a card. You know, mayday, 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 flight number, whatever, at this altitude, you know, our emergency is. You know, wait for a response. You know, if they did that, and they wouldn't have to touch anything in the airplane, unless it was just about to land, <laughs> you know, and at that point, it's, it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just going through scenarios in my head, but it wouldn't be a bad idea, you know, to have some training. And even if one pilot's lost, you can still take that designated person in. They can still do maybe some radio work or watch out for traffic or, or other things on board. You know, some with minimal flight training would at least be more helpful than nobody. Yeah, it's a lot of input in that, especially with the speed. I don't know if the uh, particular instance, do they have automatic auto control or what? I don't know. Yeah, they have auto throttle. Like yeah. Well, auto land. Auto land is a purely – now, I don't know if, if the, some of the domestic airplanes have it, like your basic 737. I don't know if that has complete, you know, zero, zero, which means no visibility, you know, no, no ceiling. Can they land, you know, blind? In other words, can, can, the, can you land a, the average 737 blind uh, totally on the autopilot? using auto throttle and an auto flight controls and, and coupled to the, the navigation instruments. So the airplane is following the beams, you know, down to the runway and it flares and it sets the, uh, it has the radar, the radar altimeter, you know, that's this logging of when to flare the airplane, how to hold direction, all that kind of stuff. Cause you can follow the navigation all the way down the runway. People don't realize that, that uh, it's called a localizer for folks that are, they're new to flying. So a localizer sends a beam, you know, from actually the other end of the runway down the runway, you know, uh, or actually maybe not, maybe it's uh, depending on which end it's at, but uh, depending on where it is, and you can, you can back course it too, but I don't want to get into that. Anyway, so if you have, you have a left-right indicator, so you have a needle, if the needle's centered, you're on the beam. If it's to the right, you're off the beam to the right, you know, or you're off to the left, so go back to the needle. But I can remember my basic instrument flying. It's going to be fun to do. Anyway, point being that an, uh, an airplane with an autopilot can use the navigation instruments to fly even down the runway, and all I have to do is stop. And once they stop, well, you know, the, the ground crew take over. to be dead on, I'll tell you that. Each one well, of those dots is two degrees, so you No, but you dots, can do it. You know, the flight yeah. maneuvering would be well, the tough part. But if you line the plane up, you know, 20, 30, 50 miles out. I'm talking and about doing it automatically. Yeah, human beings can do it, but if you – if uh, I would be curious to see what type of uh, – just uh-huh. how well it does automatically. Everything well, has to be perfect. The ground yeah. signals, everything has to be pretty much perfect. Yeah, and you can't have any of those out. So uh, you got to be vectored to the biggest runway, the biggest airport, you know, with the best weather. <laughs> you know, those are the basics, right? Yeah, this is interesting. Yeah. Okay. I think it can be done zero visibility. Mm-hmm. I think, well, you know, not to get off the, get too deep in the subject because of those who are listening, but uh, uh-huh. everything has to be lined up just. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm curious. Yeah. How, I'll, I'll look that up. How far can an autopilot land an airplane? How far out? Let's write a little question. How far out? 
can actually let me look it up right now. <laughs> Let's find out. And we've only got a minute left in the show officially. Uh, and I've got a bunch of stuff for Monday. This is going to be fun. So let's spill this in here. So how far out? How far from the runway can an auto land system land an airliner? Your good friends is autopilots. How pilots land when they can't see the runway? Here we go. Airbus 320. I'm going to have to do a little research on this. Nothing's coming, nothing says, uh, you know, 30 miles out. <laughs> I don't have a direct answer, so I'll have to, I'll have to do a little research on that. But it'd be interesting to find out. Well, you know, um, there is a story out there of a plane landing with all the crew dead. So it was a ghost what? plane. <laughs> where, where is this? What do you mean the ghost plane? Tell me about oh, the ghost plane. Oh, you never heard this story? No, tell me about the ghost plane before we go. We don't have much I'll time. I'll try to before find it for you. But yeah, it is. It's a plane that landed, and mm-hmm. the, the whole crew was dead. Let's do it Monday. It's one of those <laughs> things. It's one of those Bermuda Triangle things. That's funny. Okay. Well, like I say, we'll catch up Monday. Um, let me go play some stuff. And uh, for anybody that uh, wants to join us again, 7 to 10 a.m. Central Time weekdays. And I'll throw some of my Europe friends. It's about, you know, what, seven. So it'd be like two to five in the afternoon or something like that. But uh, we, need, we need more European listeners and hopefully more people chatting online. That was great to have this, this one person check in because, you know, there's other folks listening, which is very, very, very cool. All right. Oh, so, so our, our listeners going home from the Netherlands, you have a great weekend. And keep your farms going. You okay, too. So we, we, need, we, need we need your farms there in the Netherlands. All right, Bianchi. I'll talk to you next week. There we go. All right. Greg Pangos here for Action Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Our legislative website is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. We've got uh, articles on Substack, gregpenglis.substack.com. And for contributions, give sendgo.com slash action radio. Play a little bit of stuff here. And then I'll be back Monday morning at 7 a.m. Central Time. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. 
call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio Live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network. 
the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.